Welcome to episode number 34 of Talking Mopars and our third installment of Direct Connections, the special editions of this podcast where we talk Mopars with other Mopar enthusiasts. My guest today is someone who I consider to be the modern Hemi swap guru. He's one of the front runners when it comes to swapping modern Hemis into old Mopars. He founded DIYHemi.com and his mission is to Hemi swap the world. Joining us today on Talking Mopars Direct Connections is my good friend, Blake Anderman. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopar's with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend and the founder of DIYHemi.com, Blake Anderman. Blake, how's it going, buddy? Going good, Chris. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. Hanging in there. Uh, the world is a little crazy right now, so I'm just staying home and uh, keeping myself and my family out of trouble and safe. <laughs> but uh, how's things uh, down in Louisiana? Doing really well. Uh, the weather's been uh, nice. Uh, not too much rain. Uh a lot of wrenching time, a lot of time uh, in the shop. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely enjoying that, you know, and not having to um, to really uh, get sidetracked. You know how that gets. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you are the owner and founder of DIYHemi.com. But before we get into all that fun stuff, I like to... One of the fun things about Mopars for me is always the story behind mm -hmm. and everybody's got a Mopar story, how they got involved into Mopars and what sparked their interest in Mopar. So Blake, tell me what sparked your interest in Mopars. Have you always been a Mopar guy or is that something that kind of got sparked later on in life? Oh, uh, that's a good one. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would say I've always been a Mopar guy, but that's not the truth. So uh, there's a stranger among us, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, coming up, my dad, and uh, he was never a Mopar guy. He was always a GM guy, you know, and he really wasn't a car guy at all. He just always drove a GMC truck. Yeah, that was his thing. You know, don't bring a Dodge home. You know, that was his, his saying is, <laughs> you know, and um, well, my mother, very uh, kind of the opposite of that, right? So my mother, when I was uh very, very young. And actually before I was born, she was a, uh, an admin associate at a Dodge dealership. So she actually wrote invoices and did all the ordering for vehicles at a local Dodge dealership, Plymouth dealership. And, um, her first car was a 1974 Plymouth Barracuda. So she was a Mopar person. My dad wasn't, you know, but she kind of didn't really, she didn't, didn't bring it up too much, you know? Um, and my passion really started, I would say, when I was about uh, was about eight years old. So a uh, little known fact is uh, when I was young, I actually had cancer, childhood cancer. And I lived for about two years at St. Jude's Children's uh, Medical Hospital there in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it was uh, it was pretty rough. You know, back then it's not nearly anything like it is now. You know, you go and uh, you see the infomercials and if you go visit the hospital, I do that frequently. I'll go uh, maybe every couple of years and help what they call a, it's a long-term follow-up study. They examine past patients that have been cured and have moved on with life. And um, 
back then it was very gloomy. You know, it was a very cold and dark hospital. Um, it had like black marble walls and uh, to do anything to keep my mind off of treatment. Uh, I just love cars. I just, it was in my blood, you know, and my mom would give me stories about uh, her Ply- Plymouth Barracuda and how she would, you know, drive all over the South and go to the beaches in it and how much fun she had in it and just reminisce, you know, and that distracted me enough um, to where I just really became fond of the e-body. And it's like, Oh man, I want one of those. If I ever get out of this hospital bed, you know, when I grow up, I want to get one of those, you know? So, uh, that's kind of how the Mopar bug started with me. It's a little bit grim, you know, a little, little doom and gloom, but, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, here I am now and knee deep in Mopars and I love it. Absolutely. That sounds like a, a really, I, so I actually listened to your interview with Rob Kibbe from the Muscle Car Place, and I got a little taste of that. I, I'd never listened to the first interview I did with him, but I did listen to the second one. And, you know, that if anytime anyone survives something like that, you know, cancer, all these other types of illnesses that could be terminal, that's just, you know, an amazing story of strength and overcoming, you know, an obstacle. So congratulations on that. I'm happy to hear that you're here with us today. Um, well, thank you. That, uh, yeah, those kinds of stories are really powerful because there's a lot of people that don't make it out of those situations, obviously. And when you do, you know, what you make of your life after that, you know, says a lot about a person because, you know, you can go a lot of different ways. A lot of people fall into the depression, but it seems, I mean, I don't know you too well on a personal level, but you seem to be a very happy guy and you seem to have a positive outlook on things. So that's, that's commendable. I commend, I commend you for that. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's one of those things that I've just learned to embrace it. And, um, you know, you could really, you can go either way, just like you said, you can kind of spiral out into depression or you can make the best of things and move on. And, um, thankfully I had, you know, my my parents by my side and it was always, you know, not if, when, when we get out of here. Right. Um, and so that, that determination, that fire to just never give up is, I mean, that's, that's what I still use today in everyday life. And the, the, the IY hand me, that's what, um, that's some of that fuel behind me, you know, just don't give up. You could figure it out. We can make our way through this and, uh, the passion, you know, so that's part of my DNA. That's part of my makeup. That's why I do what I do. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Eight years old, man. Gosh, <laughs> At eight years old, I don't even remember what I was doing, but <laughs> it definitely wasn't battling anything like that, man. So my hat figuratively off to you. Um, yeah, crazy story, crazy story. So you're young, you get out of treatment and you're on the mend. You've made a recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at what point do you get your first Mopar? When do you realize that dream? Okay, that's a good one. Uh, so... Uh, this is a, actually a fun story, Chris. So I'm in high school and, uh, you know, I'm just looking at Mopars, love them to death, right? Whatever I can find out there, I just, I gravitate towards it. So, uh, one of my best friends in high school, still my best friend to this day, he was a Mopar guy and, uh, he had a 1965 Plymouth Barracuda and that was his daily driver. I can remember us being young, uh, going to the local football games, going out on the town, you know, 17, six, you know, 16 years old. And uh, we're out one night and (laughs) the drum brakes failed on it. We just kind of coasted through a red light, you know, and we were just, it it scared the tar out of us, but we just 
we were just happy to be in a Mopar, man. We were just riding around. And I'll never forget it. One day we're out riding and uh, I see it. It's a 1972 EV2. So, you know, Tour Red Plymouth Duster. And I see it sitting on a curve and the guy wants 1500 bucks for it. So it's a 318 car, uh, automatic on the column, nothing fancy, been sheet, uh, been seat. Uh, but he was just so enthralled with it. And he, he was very proud of the car. It needed a lot of work, uh, but it ran, you know, no big deal. I get to talking with the guy and he just enamors me with the, the weirdest stories. And he tells us, okay, look, you see these, these rear windows, you know, the quarter glass on the, the those a bodies of that year, they had the, uh, the lever where the quarter glass would kind of pop out. Right. So he's like, now let me tell you something. This 318 Magnum is faster than any 340 out there. It's faster than a 426. And you know why these windows pop out? That's for high speed stability. And my friend Cody and I were looking at each other. We're just like, oh my God, is this guy for real? So we're looking the car over and he just continues to spew this stuff out. And uh, we get around to the back of the car and the guy had taken like from uh, like Walmart, you know, he, he'd taken mailbox letters, the, the, the adhesive stickers that you find, you know, maybe in the, the hardware aisle. And he'd <laughs> written across the back of the car, trick or treat. And he said, man, trick or treat. This is the fastest car in the, the whole area. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was one story after another. I was like, is this guy for real? Is this guy really for real? Uh, and he was, he was, it was amazing. We, I, we settled on a price. I bought the car, I think for like 1300 bucks, brought it home, tore into it. And, uh, that's when I found it was pretty much a bone stock 318 with like a comp 268 H cam and some like a 4,000 RPM stall. Like you would almost have the gas pedal to the floor before, <laughs> before this thing would take off and get going down the road. It was, it was a whiplash. I think would have been a more appropriate name for the car. Um, but it was fun, man. I, I was just so happy to be in a Mopar. You know, that, that was my first one. How long did you have it? Do you still have it? Oh, I had it for about two years. Um, I don't have it anymore, uh, mostly because at the time I was young, you know, I, I just didn't have the technical skill set to to really repair it. Like the, the floor pans, I remember uh, cutting the floor pans out one night to do the sheet metal replacement. And uh, I caught some, you know, I caught some like carpet jute on fire and it was a whole like a fire extinguisher episode. And uh, I just... I tried, but I just, I wasn't there yet. It was too much of a project for me. So I decided to let it go. So now you have a CUDA, correct? I do. I have my, this is, oh, this is my fourth Barracuda. Okay. Let, so let's go to your first Barracuda. Okay. <laughs> start, start with, how, how long after the duster did you get back into another Mopar? Oh, years. So I, um. I went to, after graduating high school, um, I worked my way as a mechanic, uh, like 30, 40 hours a week and put myself through college. So I was trying to do as much as I could just to get through college. So all my money and focus was going into that. And, uh, it took a long time, you know, so I'm not a very smart fella. Uh, it took me eight years to get through college and, and get my mechanical engineering degree. I did that. And as soon as I graduated, you know, it was like 2010, I said, okay, I did it. I did it. You know, I didn't give up, got my degree. 
uh, I had my degree hanging on the wall and I was still, you know, a mechanic turning wrenches before I was able to place into um, a chemical industry job out in South Texas, just south of Houston. And as soon as I got settled in South Texas, uh, man, I started hitting Craigslist. What can I find? Got to get anybody. Got to get anybody. And I stumbled across this guy in uh, Victoria, Texas. I think his name was Johnny D. He used to own, uh, uh, I think it was called uh, Dr. Mopar of South Texas or something like that. It was a salvage yard guy. And I didn't know much. You know, I, I was still in you know my mid-20s. I didn't know what was going on. Uh I just knew I had to have an e-body. I've always wanted one. So I found his ad on Craigslist and I drove out to Victoria, Texas, middle of nowhere. And um, I saw this car for the first time. It was just a shell. I mean, it had no suspension, no front suspension, no rear suspension. It was just a shell. And it was, uh, I think, an A5 car. It's like that silvery color. I don't remember what the name was. It was a 1973 it was originally a 340 AC car with like the black vinyl top, black side stripe. Uh, well, that's what it was anyway, but it was a complete rust bucket. I think I bought it for 1500 bucks. And uh, I remembered having to get floor jacks under the car and back the trailer underneath the body just to try to drag this car home, right? It was just a complete piece of junk. Uh, and so I did that and then came time uh, to get the title and do the paperwork. So I went to his house there. It was on the premises of the junkyard and we started to do the paperwork and it should have struck me as odd, but he hands me the, the VIN tag in an envelope with the title. And I'm like, why is this not on the car? Like what, why did you, and it has the rosette rivets and everything, you know? So I didn't think of it that much. I just, we did the paperwork and, uh, came came home with the car, and while I was there, he shows me he has a uh, an FY1 yellow AAR Cuda sitting there in his personal stash, and I just I became enamored with it. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I would I would love to have one of these days in one of these cars one day, but it's I never thought it would be possible, right? You know, that's kind of like unobtainium, like a super bird, <laughs> right? So uh, I get home and I start doing the paperwork and I'm, you know, because from Texas to Louisiana doing a transfer and I'm looking at the thing and I said, well, okay, let me do a little research on this car. I want to make sure I know what I need to do to put this thing back together. And I really start doing research. I think at the time it was kudachallenger.com. And I found out about body stampings. So I looked at the cow, I looked at the radiator panel, and the numbers do not match. I'm like, oh, oh no. what, what? So, uh, so I get I get up my uh, camera out. I had taken a walk around video of the car, the first inspection, the time when I went to go inspect it, and. Uh, I'm looking at it, and sure enough, the door tag was completely intent. The intact, the sticker in the door jam was completely fine. And when I went walk out at the car, it had freshly been like ground off with like an angle grinder. So, oh man, I think he knew he was selling me a VIN swap car. Uh, all the all the telltale signs were there, and I, man, my heart sank. I was like, I can't do anything with this car. It's this is a fraud. It's it's. It's worthless, you know. It's a VIN swap. That's 
that's bad news, right? So yeah. it's I set it out to pasture and uh, you know, hit Craigslist up again, right? And I found in Atlanta a very early production 1973 Barracuda, plain Jane, no AC, not a, a probably the slimmest fender tag I've ever seen in my life for uh, any Mopar. <laughs> no options. Uh, and it was just a shell too, but dang it, I had $600 in my pocket burning a hole. <laughs> I loaded up the truck in the trailer and I drove 10 hours to Atlanta. So I bought this car and uh, it was this scheduled production date, I think was like the first or second day for 1973 models in 72. Um, I got that car, drug it home. I was like, well, this is a good, clean car, good, clean title. Let me put them, you know, put the best pieces onto this one and build it. And, you know, life kind of got in the way and, um, it kind of sat on the back burner while I did work for money, just trying to raise money to, to fix up that red car, the 73 I bought out of Atlanta. And, uh, it's, it just, another one, it was a lot of work, a lot of work, but it was what I could afford. And, uh, my wife told me, she said, look, this is your dream car. Why don't you take a step back, really save some money and just go get a more solid car, get a better car. And again, you know, this was kind of before the whole Facebook marketplace and stuff. Right. So hit my, my go-to Craigslist, hit Craigslist. And I saw a guy out of Dallas selling a 1970 Plymouth Barracuda Grand Coupe. So it had AC power windows car. Uh, very rare to have the power windows. Completely intact. Everything was there. 318 a car again, but I didn't mind. I knew that I wanted to you know, put late model Hemi in it. And uh, I, I set off for another 10-hour drive. Drove all the way up to Dallas and... Uh, looked at the car. It was everything that, uh, could described and we struck a deal. So I, I brought it home and, uh, I remember doing the paking paperwork on his pool table in his kind of his game room of his house. And his house was like, a, it was like, a an abandoned warehouse, if you will, that he had a living quarters in. And he said, well, since I know you're a good guy, and I know that you love the AAR and you want to do a clone. Maybe I can give you some um, motivation is the way I think he worded it. So I looked at him and my friend who had taken the road trip with me. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, follow me. We went through like a hole in the wall <laughs> and uh, it was Mopar heaven. I'm not joking. It was crazy. So we, we go into this shop and there's a wall torn down. And the first thing I see is like an Alpine white. I think it was a 70 charger and green interior with, it was a big block AC car. I remember that. And he had just kind of finished wrapping up that restoration. And he said, step with me through this, literally like a, a hole in the wall, a torn down cinder box. We walk into the next room and there's two AARs. There's a grand, another grand coupe. There's two or three other Barracudas. Uh, quite a few B bodies, two A12 track pack cars, one in butterscotch, uh, one in, I think it was another yellow car. I, I don't remember exact color. Oh, and man. I'm looking around and I'm just, it's, it's overload. It is Mopar overload. I'm looking at all these, all these B bodies and E bodies. And I'm just like, what? Like, holy geez, just looking around. 
And I can remember kind of glancing up on the uh, the pallet racks he had in this old warehouse. And at the top of the pallet rack, I, I see a nose cone. And I'm like, wait, why do you have a nose cone up there? Like, what? And I, I just remembered talking to him. He's, you know, to my left side. And I said, you have a nose cone? Like, what? And totally oblivious, right? Totally oblivious. Right in front of me, he just tells me, he says, Blake, look down. Right in front of me, three feet in front of me, I see this big car cover. And I follow it from my right to my left. And I'm watching the body lines. All of a sudden, it dips up into this huge wing, right? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. He reaches over, pulls the cover off. He bought it, I think, in like 1985 for you know not much money back in those days. It was another EV2 Roadrunner Superbird. Uh, it was a it was a 444 speed with black vinyl top and white interior. And the only thing wrong with this car was the nose cone. I think it maybe hit a deer or something. And uh, that was the only thing. Everything was OE, 100% gorgeous. Right? Wow. So my heart's beating at this point. I'm like, hey, can I touch it? <laughs> like, can I, can I just touch it? Is, is this real life? Really? <laughs> uh, and so we, we've been friends ever since. And um, I came home, uh, started working on that car, the, the Grand Coupe I bought from him. Years passed, uh, seven years passed, you know life with kids and, you know, really trying to work as hard as you can to, to get your project going. And he kind of posted up another car for sale here recently. It was this past October and, uh, it was, um, an AAR, one of his AARs. He had actually picked up another one. So it was his third in his collection. And he, he had it for a fair price because it was non-numbers matching just had a regular 340 thrown in it. It had been laid up for quite some time. It needed a lot of work, a lot of elbow grease, but it was a true J code car. And I talked to my wife, you know, my rock. And I said, you know, man, that grand coupe I have needs a lot of body work. It it needs a lot of uh, time. What do you think about me selling that car and going after this one? And she agreed. So uh, we struck up a deal he delivered it to my house. Uh, I was pretty busy with work at the time and I was able to sell my grand coupe to a friend of mine and kind of offset the cost. So for less than it would have cost me to have a paint job put on my grand coupe. Now I have this, this AAR and I'm like, Holy geez, like, is this real life again? You know, I have an AAR. How is this possible? Uh, for someone who grew up like me, you just really didn't have a whole lot, you know, but, uh, here it is. And what do I do with it? Well, obviously, first thing, let's get it running. Let's get it going. We got the uh, 340 up and running. It was doing pretty good. It was tired, you know, low compression, not very, uh, not very fun to drive around in. you know, it would stall out a lot. Uh, and I just was, man, I got to do something better than this. I, I really can't afford to go, you know, with the 346 pack right now and try to hunt all these parts down. It, it did come with the original six barrel intake manifold. It came with the, the TA heads, but the block was long gone and, um, it mismatched tires. One was like a wagon wheel. One's a steely, just a project car. Right. And, uh, luckily my friend that wanted to buy my 
Barracuda Grand Coupe, he's me more of an old school guy. He said, um, look, I have a couple of Mopars. I have wheels and stuff. Why don't you give me a little bit better price on the car? And you can take the Gen 3 Hemi out of it and all that work that you've done. Just put it in the AAR because it's dependable and running. Like, just go to town with it and uh, let's work the deal that way. So that's what I did. I, um, I took the Gen 3 Hemi swap. Everything was a direct bolt-in, no holes drilled, no cutting required. And uh, just have been working on it ever since. And now I'm just excited to be driving around in a Mopar. Okay, there's a couple of things I need to digest here for a minute. Um, what is it? <laughs> digest with, away, Chris. What is it with some? I always hear these stories, and there's always these. You know, I say this lovingly. These crazy Mopar guys mm-hmm. that just have yeah, a hole in the wall. You go through a hole in the wall, and then you run into a treasure trove of Mopars. <laughs> That's like the stuff that I dream about, <laughs> and. I don't know. I, I always hear these stories about these Mopar guys that just have weird setups and they just have these hidden collections. It just, it, I, I say it all the time. I wonder how many of these collections are actually out there that nobody knows about. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's the thing. Nobody knows. <laughs> ah, it's just, we are a secretive bunch. It's weird. I'm excited knowing that there's stuff out there still to be found. Cause you know, sometimes like I think, Oh man, all the good stuff has been found. And then, you know, just jump on Facebook or Instagram and you see all these guys pulling all these cars out of the weeds. And it's like, man, I just, I mean, the hunt is on all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's really cool. Uh, uh, an a 12 butterscotch car. That is, that's nice. I like that. It was gorgeous. It was so gorgeous. I, yeah, I thought you would like that. They were sitting side by side too, almost like bragging, you know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not kidding when I say I probably would have dropped to my knees going into that hole in the wall, and I I probably would have just I don't know. I would have had a come to Jesus moment or something right there. I don't know. <laughs> That's just. Uh, I, I didn't expect it. I totally did not expect it. And um, you know, I, I'm sure he's moved on from now, and he's you know probably in a different place or I don't even know if he has any of those cars anymore or whatever, but, uh, he, uh, I was very excited that he, he showed that to me, you know, that's as a a Mopar guy, that's, that's like a gift, you know, a lot of, a lot of our kind, the Mopar people, as I call it, very secretive. They are. (laughs) I can remember going to one guy's house just to get a center console. And, uh, I, I pulled up to his house and he literally, he said, okay, you stand here. And it's right at the entrance to his huge barn. And he's like, you stand right here. And he, I mean, opens the barn door barely enough for him to squeeze in. He just like wiggles in sideways, goes in, grabs the console, comes out, wiggles in and like slams the door real, real fast right behind him. And I'm just like, well, guy, like, I, okay, yeah. I get it. You, you want your privacy. I, all right. That's fine. But we, we have a tendency to be a weird bunch at times. You know, and you kind of understand these guys because a lot of them, you know, there's the types of Mopar guys that are really open and really want to show you everything they have because it's so cool. Yeah. And there's the guys that have been insulted so many times by the people lowballing them. You know, what are you going to do with that? I'll give you 300 bucks for that super bird. You know, and after a while, that's got to get annoying. You know what I mean? It, I know oh, yeah. if I had sitting on one side of the fence, I could go, okay, 
maybe I'm the guy who has a 1970 Superbird and I've had it since new or close to new. And it is the best thing I have in my life. You know, the one thing that I know has extreme amount of value and I love it and I could never rebuild it, but I could never let it go because I know that that is the treasure of my life. And everybody's always right. offering you, you know, a couple hundred bucks and I don't blame them. Of course, sitting on the outside, I'm like, get the car fixed. You know what I mean? But I, I think to myself, if I had that car and I didn't have the means to have it fixed, but I knew that I had it, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I can relate to those types of people. But on the other hand, I'm a, you know, no Mopar left behind guy. Save the car. Let somebody save it. Maybe they'll let you drive it when they're done, you know? So I kind of, I jump on both sides of the fence, but I do like knowing that they're still out there. I love those kinds of stories. And, you know, I wish I could get those types of people on the podcast to talk to them, to get inside (laughs) their head and to, you know, see what their thought process is. And I know one of these days I'm going to get somebody like that on the show and it's going to be really interesting, but I love stories like that. And like you're saying, you know, you go to these guys just for, to buy parts and some of them, you know, it's one way or the other, they either open their entire Mopar world to you and you're just astonished at what they have or they're, you know, barn door that far open and they're, you know, squeezing <laughs> in and squeezing out with parts. That's, uh, you know, I'm not surprised by either one of those stories. And yeah, I'm sure every know. Mopar guy who's gone and done that kind of stuff has stories <laughs> just like that. You know what I mean? Like Johnny Mopar's telling me about a guy who's got cars buried in pods in his yard. I'm like, what kind of, okay. <laughs> Nothing yeah, surprises me in the Mopar world anymore. I just, but, you're like me though. You just enjoy seeing it. You know, it's, I have so much respect for it. Any shape and condition, uh, just for someone to allow me to take a look at their, their collection, their, their, their treasures, you know, I think it's awesome. I know that's why I, I respect guys like Ryan Brutt, the auto archeologist. He goes out there and he looks at the cars and, you know, he doesn't push as far as, you know, oh, are you going to sell it, sell it, sell it? You know, he's about documenting them. And that to me, I I love just going and looking at the collections because I know I don't have the money. I mean, even if I did have, if, even if the guy was like, yeah, here's a super bird for five grand, would I buy it? Yeah, I absolutely would. But I don't have the means to even, that's a situation where if I ran across a super bird or something like that, that I could actually afford to buy. If the guy gave me a, a deal of a lifetime, I mean, I don't have the money to, you know, rebuild the car, but I'll tell you what I would do. I would drive that sucker. I would get it going and I would just Joe dirt it, man. I don't care, (laughs) but that's Mopar. That's that's the game, man. Get out there and enjoy it. Absolutely. I, I'm not interested in a car that I'm going to be sitting on for 10 years and never be able to touch. If I can't get it going quickly, then I'm not interested in it. And it's funny I say that because I've had this dart for like five years now and I haven't done nothing with it, but it's, it's getting there. I promised it's getting there. I just, I get distracted with things. The Mopar Hunter distracted me for five years. And now this podcast, blessing, love it. It's distracting me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get to my projects, but let's get back into your projects. So okay, at, you mentioned with one of your CUDAs that you had planned to do a modern Hemi swap in it. Now, is that something that, you know, just came into your mind? Had you seen other swaps being done? What sparked the whole modern Hemi swap idea? Oh, that's, I think that goes back to my roots. You know, when I was in school, 
as a mechanic, I just, I couldn't, I tried not to uh, work at just a standard, uh, you know, repair shop. I worked at speed shops and here in, in the South GM just really, it's, it's huge, you know? So I was a technician at uh, an LS speed shop, uh, working late model GMs back then in the, the early 2000s. And, you know, on that whole explosive scene when they first came out and, you know, how dominant it was and, you know, good, reliable power, uh, affordable power, you know, and the ability to get in turnkey, go wherever that the whole craze that took off. And, um, you know, I knew I wanted that that freedom, that reliability, that that touch and go, you know, really. And it's something you speak about all the time. I just really resonate with is get out and drive it. Enjoy the tar out of them. You know, what is going to take this hobby and promote it to the next level? That's the kids out on the corner seeing that that Mopar flinging around, you know, and saying, what is that? Oh, my gosh, that is bad. A, you know, that's what really gets this hobby to thrive and continue to grow and get that new blood in. And, um, yeah. So I, I kind of started, I was LS, you know, I was building LS standalone wiring harnesses, swapping them into classic cars back in the early two thousands through the mid two thousands. And one thing that I took away from that is it wasn't complicated. And the LS guys, the GM guys were very open. They shared, uh, they had web pages, they had forums everywhere you would go. If you need to know, Hey, how do I make my tachometer work? You do a quick Google search and you may find 15 areas or websites that will tell you exactly how to do it. Um, Hemi, not so much, you know, and it was one thing that I remembered sitting in my apartment in South Texas when I was looking at eBodies. I said, you know, there's got to be a way for Mopar guys to have that same that same lifestyle, the ability to get in, crank it and go and have the great power and just the fuel economy, reliability, you know, and I just started really researching my tail off, anything I could get my hands on. So I bought o- I bought the OEM service manuals, like the 3,000 page books. I went through the wiring harnesses and I really tried to get an idea of how these things worked to see, are they really that complicated? You know, anything my research found to that point, we're talking about, you know, 2010 to 2015, 14 was uh, it was secretive, you know, people said, well, oh, well, you know, I just got it running. Um, it was very private. Nobody really shared that like they did in that LS community. And that was something that I wanted to make sure that uh, wouldn't stand to be the case for long. So I said, well, something's got to be done. And if someone has to do it, it might as well be me. So I started the DIY Hemi website and it started very basic. Uh, I got on like GoDaddy, created a very rudimentary website that posted the pinouts for the ECM connectors and a kind of a, a crude walkthrough guide on how to do the Hemi swaps. And it took off. We had a lot of positive feedback, but it quickly grew to a point where uh, I've got to be more efficient. I've got to be leaner to answer these questions because we're getting bombarded with technical support and people asking questions on how to do things. And it, uh, it really took off more than I expected it would. So uh, that's what kind of turned it into this whole movement of it can be done, you know, just a simple to compare it to the LS guys, a simple junkyard pullout 5.7 can be had for a couple hundred bucks. A wiring harness can be built for a couple hundred bucks. 
and you're on the road and you're rolling, making good power for very I mean, pennies on the dollar compared to building an engine fresh from scratch. Uh, there's nothing wrong with building an engine. I think that's fine. That's great. You know, build that old school small block Mopar, big block Mopar. I have the utmost respect for that. But when your guys kind of like us and you don't have an endless bank account and you want to get that thing on the road and run and, and Joe dirt it up, man, burn the tires, light those tires over, you know, it's a really cost effective way to do it. You know? So we are now on our second uh, iteration of the website, trying to advance things, which looks great by the way. Oh, thank you. Great. Thank you. It's It's, uh, yeah. I uh, jumped over there recently and I was like, Oh wow. Yeah, I'm no computer programmer. Uh, we, we try, we, we get um, some tips and tricks here and there and try to pick things up. But um, I like the way it's turning out. One thing that really I, I want to see it get back to, and I'm working on it, you should see some progress in the next couple weeks, is it always started out as the subtitle says, a Gen 3 Hemi Swap Resource. The number one goal is not to sell products. It's the number one goal is not to cram down. Oh, you need to buy my stuff because it's the best. The the whole driving force behind the entire movement, Hemi Swap the World hashtag Hemi Swap the World, is just get out there and let's give the GM guys some hell. Let's give the Ford guys some hell, you know, and let's do it together. Let's quit being secretive. Let's share. How do we do this? Like the we have a great power plan out there. We can make this just as popular. You go to any pick and pull around our area for sure. There may be half a dozen Hemi engines just waiting, waiting for the opportunity to go into something. And uh, that's what it is, is it's really about helping people to do the swaps and not be intimidated by it, not be overwhelmed and walk through in a step-by-step process. And if there's any solutions that we could offer from our experience to make your life easier, that's what we want to do. You know, I'm not about saying, you know, you've got to use this for me or buy this for me. There are some really amazing vendors out there. And I think we all win together. You know, we look at Holly, what Holly has done for the LS world. They're, they're about to dive off in Hemi right now. They're now have, what's it, a Mo party? Did you hear about that coming up in Bowling Green? Yes, sir. And uh, I may or may not be talking to Holly about that on the next episode of talking Mopars. We'll see. Stay tuned for that. But yes, they in Bowling Green, Kentucky, they've got a huge show because of the popularity of LS Fest. They realized mm-hmm. that, you know, the Mopar guys, you know, we're sitting here going, Hey, what about us? And thankfully Holly is, you know, taking that into account and moving forward with, like you're saying, um, really diving into that Hemi world and, you know, We've talked about it before. There's a million of these Hemi cars that are getting ready. I mean, they're getting older. You know, these 2006, mm-hmm. these LX cars, we're going to start seeing them flood the wrecking yards. And I think that's when it's really going to be game on. Because up here, you get, I see more of like the Jeep Commanders and the 1500 Rams and stuff. But it's not too often. You may see a Charger, but it's not too often you see a Hemi car in a newer Hemi car, I should say, in our wrecking yards. But I expect mm-hmm. that to change very rapidly. And hopefully I'm in a position because, you know, I've been following what you've been doing for a long time before I even started talking to you. And I, rem- I remember when I first got on a DIY Hemi, 
me being the idiot entrepreneur I am, I'm like, this guy should be selling all this information. <laughs> He's just giving it away. So, uh, so hey, thank you, Blake. I think everybody that's interested in these sh- swaps owe you, you know, a debt of gratitude because it would be so easy for you to take all the knowledge. I mean, I can't imagine how much research you've done with this stuff, but you could take all that information and put it in ebook form and sell it. And yet you're, you know, doing the Mopar world a great service by saying, hey, here's all the information, mm-hmm. you know, and you're also an open book. I, I don't think it's very hard to get a hold of you. And if anybody has any questions, I don't think you'd have a problem answering them. Right. I mean, I'm speaking for you right now, but <laughs> I, I think you're, you know, I do want to ask before we, before we get too far into this, I want to ask, you know, you said you were involved in um, speed shops that did LS swaps. Mm-hmm. Did that have a lot of impact on, you know, how you approached the Hemi swap? Did it give you enough experience to go, okay, I have an idea of how these swaps are done. Did it help you having that knowledge getting into the modern Hemis? Oh, absolutely. It definitely did. There are so many similarities um, between the two. It's, it's uncanny. It really is. Um, you know, when it comes to the fuel systems, the fuel systems are near identical. Uh, the way the, the, the coils and the injectors, all that works is it's pretty much spot on. Um, you take the theory, the standalone theory from GM and then transfer it over to the Chrysler, the the Mopar world. And it's, it's uncanny how close it is. The difference is Mopar may do things in a different way, but they do the same things, if that makes sense. You know, so when it comes to to firing uh, injectors, you know, so, you know, firing injector, all injectors are powered 12 volts from the ASD relay in Mopar. And uh, they're always getting the 12 volts constant power and they get fired by, you know, grounding out each individual injector. So uh, it's all very common stuff when it comes to the fuel injection systems of GM. So it definitely helped. It definitely did. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny because every time you get into the argument of LS versus Hemi, the first thing that the LS guys go to, and I know that the LS is a good engine. I mean, it's proven, you know, on the track and all these cars. I, I have friends that have twin turbo LS cars that are, you know, eight second driver cars, you know, things you'd see on street outlaws, you know, they're driving down the street with a parachute, just ridiculous. And the only thing that any LS guy has ever said to me you know, as far as Hemi versus LS is, oh, LSs are way cheaper. That's like the only thing. So you have experience with both. Mm-hmm. How do you compare LS to a Hemi as far as performance goes? Which is the superior engine? Okay, well, I'll uh, I'll take you on a little side tangent here. So working at a GM speed shop, of course, I had I had a GM, I had a. Uh, I had a speed demon in me, you know, I had to fulfill it somehow. So I had a, I had a Silverado extended cab that I did uh, the six liter conversion. So that's LS base. It was the LQ4. I had stage two cylinder heads. I had a very hot camshaft. Um, it was like a 228, 230 duration. Um, I had a 3000 stall, man. I, I really tweaked it up. I think it was putting flywheel like 460 horsepower. Um, and I was very, I was proud of it. And I was like, oh yeah, I have my 12 second extended cap, you know, you know, back in the 2000s. And I, I you know, so I was all proud of it. 
And I was at this point in time, I was going to school. I was working as a mechanic and waiting tables and bartending on the weekend just to try to feed the addiction. Right. <laughs> so we had a fry cook. This is this is the truth. We had a fry cook who had just bought. It was like a 2004 extended cab Ram with the Hemi. And uh, he's mouthing off to me one night in the kitchen. He's like, oh, man, you, you don't have anything on me. You don't have anything on me. OK, well, let's line him up after work. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And I didn't know it, but he had about 150 shot on that Hemi. And he left me standing in the dust. So uh, at that point, I knew oh, maybe there's a little bit more of these Hemis than I'm giving credit to back then. And uh, they can put down the power. You can really open them up. Uh, don't don't be passive uh, when it comes to them because they're maybe not as popular as the LS. All right. That's, you know, I was I wasn't sure where we were going to go with that question and i'm glad that you weren't biased because i i know <laughs> you know i'm not a i'm not a denier i know what those ls's can do <laughs> you know what i mean it's common knowledge you throw a couple turbos on them and you know you're you're knocking on the door four digit horsepower if not over four digit horsepower depending on you know your setup but i think that the hemi is just it just needs to get blown up a little bit more as far as the aftermarket support and like one thing that frustrates me frustrates me so much and I see a giant gap in the market and maybe I'm just blind and not looking in the right places but I don't see turbo manifolds for these Hemis very often now I don't know if you know of somebody that I'm like why how come I can go get a you know a few hundred dollars gets me a set of turbo manifolds for an LS but I cannot find turbo manifold unless you go to eBay and look at some Chinese stuff that just does not look quality at all to me it just doesn't Mm -hmm. seem it i'm just like where is the company that's gonna say oh we've got turbo manifolds i i can't believe they're not there yet i don't know why i i see a huge market for them i really do but so that's you bring up a great point and it's something i wanted to touch on earlier and and maybe it's kind of where you wanted the discussion to go is you know when it comes to hemi swaps just like anything else it's supply and demand if you have more persons out there doing swaps, then there's more of an opportunity for manufacturers to get out there and make those parts. So like, like let's look at uh, the Milodon, right? The, the oil pans that they make for the Hemi swaps. While that's one part, and the prices are kind of comparatively high when you look at an LS swap oil pan, but that's because the LS swap is so popular they're, they're selling them like hotcakes hand over fist. Why is that? Well, we can all tie that back to open community sharing of how to perform an LS swap, parts availability, it just snowballs. So when we talk about Hemi swap the world, it doesn't matter if it's a junkyard 5.7 with 200,000 miles on it and you pay 200 bucks for it. Buy it, get that Milodon oil pan or you know one of the other manufacturers now step into the game. Hopefully Holly steps into the game and now you have the market where it's it's it should be going. So those cheap Hemi swaps, those cheap budget builds, they're going to buy one or two high dollar parts that they need just to make it work, even though they're on a shoestring budget. And when you're continuing to expand that market and buy those things, the offerings are going to follow. So that's really what I think about is Hemi swap the world. We win together. You know, if, if I can help 18 guys junkyard swap a Hemi in their, their old Mopar or whatever it may be, and they buy 15 oil pans, well then 
There you go. The demand's creeping up. The supply should follow. Hopefully prices drop and more people enter to the market because they see the need for that product. And that's what I'm pretty excited about. Now, maybe I'm encroaching on your business a little bit here, but I'm wondering if you would ever be interested in being a supplier for all these Hemi parts for these aftermarket companies, because I think they would want to partner with you in some way, because if you're the go-to source for, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, uh, junkyard swaps or DIY Hemi swaps, I mean, call me crazy, but I think it would be smart to team up with someone like you because, hey, not only can you go to Blake and DIY Hemi for all the information you need to do this swap, but he is also a supplier and has all the parts. I, that's what I, I think that would be, that would be great because as far as when, and I know I've talked, I've, I've talked to other people about Hemi swaps and your name always gets brought up and DIY Hemi always gets brought up. Everybody knows DIY Hemi. It's like, I really think that there needs to be a relationship there with these part manufacturers. And uh, going back to the turbo manifold thing, I've been, I really want to turbo the five, seven that I have. Cause for those of you listeners out there that don't know, I actually got a 5.7 Hemi out of a 2006 charger for a hundred bucks with blown head gaskets. And um, I got everything. I mean, I got the whole harness. I mean, I got stuff. I don't even know what it's for. Blake. I gotta be honest. I'm like, I don't know what this is. I'll take it. He's like, <laughs> I went there to buy a block and he's like, I got all this other stuff too. I'm like, what do you got? And he's just handing me boxes of stuff. I mean, I got a radiator. I got, you know, different computers. I'm like, I think this is a TCM. I don't know what this is. I'm like, yeah, just throw it in. I'm just, mm-hmm. before he changes his mind, I'm like, yeah, give me it all. <laughs> give me it all. So I, I get it all. And I'm like, hundred hundred bucks. I'm like blown head gaskets. Okay, cool. Um, so that was, I had already discovered DIY Hemi long before I got this Hemi, but the problem was in my area, a hundred dollar, five points, a hundred dollar block for a modern Hemi. Good luck finding one of those, mm-hmm. you know, and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. I called the guy and, uh, he had a bunch of people lined up already and I managed to be the first one there I said, Hey, I'll come get it right now. You know, I kind of lied to him because I was still at work, but I was like, I'll come get it right now. I'm on my way. He's like, all right, but I got people lined up. I was like, I got cash in hand. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the hundred dollar bill right now. I was bullshitting him. I was like, I need to (laughs) try to get off work early, get off work early. I go over there and, um, it turned out that he had a Chrysler 300 had well over 200,000 miles on it. It was a rough looking car. Um, that engine blew. And then he went to the wrecking yard, got this 2006 entire setup from a charger. I don't know if he bought a whole car and just parted it out or what, but everything is from an 06 charger. And from what I understand, he was basically put the engine in his 300 and it blew the head gasket. So he yanked everything out and was just parting it. And I was like, okay, the only thing I really didn't get was the transmission and the exhaust manifolds, but everything else seems to be complete. Um, hundred bucks. I was like, all right, well, I guess if I needed to sell some of the parts off this thing that I don't need, I could probably make my money back. You know what I mean? The only thing that going through all your information on the website was the golden part, the bell crank. And I was like, okay. So I started searching all the local wrecking yards for a 2003 Dodge Ram. And I found one that had it. And I made the mistake of going to this wrecking yard and the guy's like, that's kind of a, we-. he kind of basically, you know, a little runaround of that's kind of a weird thing. You know, what do you need that for? And I was like, oh dude, Hemi swap, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh really? And he, 
I think he, I think he hosed me on that thing. Cause I spent like 260 bucks on it. I was like, Oh God, I was like, all right, well, but it wasn't a pick and pull. Like they had to go, they had to go oh, pick it for gosh. me. That's the only one that I could find. Yeah. And I was like, I probably would have been better online. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the one thing. That's the most expensive part of my whole Hemi swap probably is that stupid, <laughs> but I have it. I don't know. I just, I uh, didn't want to deal with the, the oh, fly by wire pedal thing kind of weirded me out. So I was like, how can I go around that? You know? Yeah. So we'll go with that. But yeah, I got hosed on that. I don't, I'm going to go ahead and ask you, how much can you get those things for? $12. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Uh, you, did you sit on something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, I, and I'll, I'll drop you a little, uh, that's okay. My heart. Hurt. I'll drop you a little knowledge uh, here for your listeners. Um, so, you know, in the research, if you actually uh, look at some of our YouTube videos, uh, we have kind of a, a review of that bell crank connector. And keep in mind, in the early 2000s, Daimler owned Chrysler. So the Hemis were actually developed by the Germans, you know. So if you look at that bell crank sensor, if you take it out of the box, the actual, what they call it the APPS, the accelerator pedal position sensor, you take it out, it's got a Benz logo on it. Okay. It was used, the actual sensor, the, the bell crank sensor was used on probably 15 different Mercedes Benz of the same time frame. So if you're in a salvage yard and you don't find one in a Ram truck, go look at the Benzes. Just go out there and you'll find one. Now the, the, the linkages, the box is shaped a little bit differently, but it still works. It's still a six pin, uh, accelerator pedal position sensor. Um, most picket pull yards down here, we grab them every time we go and typically 12 to 15 bucks is what we get for them. We clean them up, test them. Um, a lot of times on eBay, they go for two to 300 bucks. We try to just help the community out and uh, we, we sell it for between 75 and hundred bucks just because it's something we know people need. And we, I mean, we have to, we have to pay the time it takes us to go out there. Right. So um, we're in the early stages of a business. We're migrating from, you know, how do we continue to help the community and, and provide the support? And the answer is we need to do more research. We need to, to figure out the next generation. So, you know, we have everything figured up through the Hellcats now. And how do we do that? Uh, we do that simply by buying salvage cars and taking them apart, figuring out how it works. And that's why we do what we do as far as sales goes. So a lot of it just goes into, you know, buying stuff so we can figure it out. Yeah, it is all a learning process. Some of us learn the hard way by spending more money than we need to, but that's okay. <laughs> we learn the hard way sometimes. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So let's let's look at this. You could get it's it's, and this is something I want to say for you and your listeners. Knowing what I know about the LS world and how easy it is, In LS world, you can build a standalone harness for thirty bucks. Okay. The connectors are the only thing that's a little different when it comes to Chrysler. They're a little bit more expensive, but if you were to like, say, go to our website and look at the pinouts and you were to do it yourself and use all junkyard connectors, yeah, you could do it for like 75 bucks. You can build your own um, Hemi harness for 75 bucks. Um, what we offer on the website are, 
we, we found those connectors, right? So we found the OEM connectors that if you go to a, the Dodge dealership, they want a hundred bucks just for that connector. We found the sources on them. And what we're doing is we're just trying to bring that price down. We're trying to, to cut that Mopar tax. And by doing so, it's getting more people into the game. And we have just the general knowledge area where you could go and just look at pinouts and really kind of, hey, this goes here, right? Or we have the technical manuals that we sell now. And the technical manuals we sell now literally tell you using Mopar connectors, this is the most direct, simplistic way to build your own standalone harness that will save you probably dozens of hours. So that's that's how our business has kind of evolved, right? We still hold first and foremost help the Mopar community get Hemiswaps popular. That's what we want to do first and foremost. Secondly is we want to continue to drive innovation by buying the next generation of materials and buying parts. I mean, I was able to buy two wrecked 2014 police chargers uh, last year and really dive off into the, the later, like the Eagle generation of the Hemis. And it's ridiculous how much more simpler they are than say the 2003 through 2008. Uh, the, the simplicity is there and it's something that with the guides that we, we sell now, the, the short, more direct guides, uh, you can build your own harness in a weekend. So that's where we want it to be. We want to help the Mopar community and we want to bring the prices down. Yeah. So those of you out there listening, if you're interested in a modern Hemi swap, if you're even thinking about it, because I know a lot of people out there are like me and are not that technical. You know what I mean? Like when I first went to your website, one thing that I appreciated, and this was back in the beginning um, several years ago, I think I just, it might've been before I started the Mopar Hunter, which was 2015, but right around there sometime I discovered DIY mm -hmm. Hemi before I ever reached out to you. And I remember just looking through it and going, okay, this is like for idiots like me that, you know, have a really hard time following direction. I was looking, I was like, okay, all right. And then you did the, I I'll admit I sat there and I found your YouTube videos and I sat there with a piece of paper and a pen. And I was like, like a little boy in class. I was like, okay, how are we going to do this here? All right. And uh, it cracked me up because everything was backwards <laughs> in that one video. Oh, everything was God, reversed on screen. So, horrible. so I was like, I was like, okay, this is going to be even harder, <laughs> but oh, you got that. Gosh. That's, that's a good. One. I, yeah. I appreciate that you still have that video up. It's, it's funny. Um, I know. So yeah, I thought, so I thought I was going to learn. I thought I was going to have to learn it backwards. <laughs> so someone told me that, you know, definitely leave your leave your beginnings up there and show people um how far you've come i'm definitely not a public speaker um i think that's pretty obvious but um one thing we've discussed here recently so i have some really good friends join me now in the the business and one thing we've discussed now is we've got to get back to those videos. We've got to get back to helping people because we get a lot of the same questions and answering the same emails, the same technical support questions. And the best way to get out there is we've got to make more videos. So we've ordered the camera equipment. You should see uh, 
quite a few more posts that should come alive. I think the last time we posted a YouTube video was over a year ago and that that's just not acceptable. I know we need to push that further. Um, we even reached out last week, um, to the gen three swap community page like on Facebook and said, what do you want to see? What kind of technical videos do you need? What are you having trouble with? Let us help you. Let us post a short video to kind of guide you through the process and take the mysticism out of it. Let's make sure we, we hit a home run for you guys and really give you something that you need. Yeah. You guys are on the right path. Um, I see, thankfully a lot of the people I have on this show in the business world are on really good paths. I, I think DIY Hemi is going to blow up. I think it's going to be huge. And I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to, you're probably going to get some, a lot of calls from manufacturers because you have that experience and you know, you cannot beat experience in this game. And especially like, I really like the fact that you started with LSs and you kind of cut your teeth on those and worked your way into the Hemis because you know, it, Hey, for everybody out there hating on LS engines right now, just remember that if it wasn't for that experience, we might not have DIY Hemi right now. So thank you, LS engines. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> not yeah. go out and give in them all help. seriousness, though, <laughs> uh, if, if you're even remotely thinking about a Hemi swap, you have to go to DIYHemi.com and just look at it. Just be a sponge. Go to all the different links, go to all the different pages and just absorb. That's what I did. Cause like I said, I'm an idiot. So I go there and I just, I try to be a sponge and you know, you talk about, you know, parts like the bell crank thing. I was like, I don't even know what the hell that was. And you did a great job describing where it was, what it was and things like that just really helped me, uh, you know, get familiar with the whole thing. And it's the resource. I don't know of a better Hemi swap resource out there. I don't think there is one. So, I mean, congrats, you've cornered the market. <laughs> so that's, Thank you. that's a good thing. I appreciate and, um, so, I can't, we want to push it. Yes. Hemi swap the world people. Come on. <laughs> we got to jump <laughs> on board, you know, cause I'm so, one ahead. thing I want to, I'm sorry about that. One thing I want to add is, you know, it's a learning process. It's a growing process. So you've definitely noticed the difference between the old website and the new website. And in the new website to kind of foster that community, one thing we're doing is uh, we're developing the pages. They're not up now, but we're developing the, we call it the Hemi Intel pages. So you'll see right now you can go to the website and sign up and you just have to have a valid name, email address, and we get a lot of spam. So if it's just an email address or some made up name, we typically don't approve it. But if you sign up, um, as soon as we hit launch on the Intel pages, it's all the tips and tricks that we've kind of been discussing today. It's a, it's a online community, no BS source to get information that you're looking for and walk through a lot of that's going to be information released before the YouTube video. So we're trying to really help our little community by saying, Hey, just join us and let's, let's go down this road together. But, um, if you join right now, you won't see a lot of those in-depth detailed pages that you saw on our previous website, because we're creating them in a brand new way that I think is simpler than before. So before we got a lot of questions and that was fine. We want to help people out, but if we can make it better, and we can educate people in a more direct way to where they completely get it the first time, then it's just better for everyone all the way around. 
So that's what you're going to see right now when you go onto the web pages. It's just this page where you could sign up. There's some links to our technical videos. But just know that once you've signed up, as soon as we hit launch, you're going to be immersed in this world of technical information that should be able to help you out in the future. I'm pretty sure I signed up for that. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm on that list. I'll have to. Yeah, I think that. you did. Yes. Yeah, yeah I did. Yep. Okay. <laughs> um, I got to be I got to be involved in that. I got to check that out because I've been impressed ever since I found DIY Hemi. So it's one of those things where. I know that in 10 years, people are going to be talking about DIY Hemi and I'll be like, oh yeah, I had Blake on my show. And uh, yeah, I was there before you guys, before you guys were all Hemi swap this and Hemi swap that. I knew Blake. Okay. I knew him before he became popular and had this TV show on, you know, TV swapping everything with Hemis. Mm -hmm. But, uh, oh gosh. you know, I did, <laughs> I did want to, I want to ask you this now. I know that a lot of Mopar guys are going to turn in their grave right now when I talk about this, but mm -hmm. drifting, drifting and the import community. Okay. I see a lot of these guys swapping LSs in, you know, 240SX Nissans and things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the Hemi is going to catch on there too? Because I'd be, I'd be a liar folks. If I didn't say, God, I would like to put a Hemi in one of those and just kind of shock that little community a little bit because it's like, Oh, you got an LS swap? Cool. Yeah, I got a Hemi. It's always cooler. I don't care who you are. It's always cooler to say that you have a Hemi. I I'm, I love big block and small block Chryslers, but oh, you got a 346 pack? Cool. I got a Hemi. 440? Oh, cool. I got a Hemi. Six pack? Eh, got a Hemi. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's always cooler to say you have a Hemi. Do you, do you see Hemi swaps you know, venturing out of, away from classic Mopars and into other areas of the performance world, like drifting and other things like that. Do you see that happening? Oh, yes. So we we have a very big following globally. We, we get notification, we get push notifications to our cell phones every time we get someone that logs on the site. Um, you know, it doesn't give us our, their details of their full names or anything. It just says, hey, you have a new visitor from Alberta, Canada, uh, from Sweden. We've, I mean, globally, we've been, uh, last week we had one from Japan, one from Australia, uh, a couple from the, like the Middle East. We get all over the world. And I remembered two weeks ago, I had a gentleman contact me out of um, Great Britain who put one in a three series BMW. And he was drifting, you know, uh, was looking for some wiring help to just physically in the car. He's like, I just need to get the get the wiring done. We need to get this thing on the road and running. So 3 Series BMW, I've seen that. I don't know if you've seen here lately, there's a, a someone that put a 392 in a Volkswagen Beetle. It's insane. Uh, it's like the engine's like the size of the car, but it's the coolest thing. Uh, we've seen them put in there. Uh, I was reached out to this week for someone putting one. The Grand National. Grand, that's, yeah, the Hell National. That thing is sweet. That thing is uh, badass. <laughs> isn't it, though? That's a Hell, I mean, Hellcat. That's Dude. crazy. Yeah, that one, that one really had me going. I actually followed him on Instagram because I was like, I might have to bring this guy on the show. Because secretly, folks, I've always been a fan. I, I might get burned at the stake for this. I've always been a fan of the old... Um, GM turbo vehicles, the Grand Nationals, the T-Types, and the Cyclone and Typhoon. Those, I have a special place in my heart for those things. I 
Sorry, guys. I, I like them. Uh, <laughs> I know hey, they're not Mopars, but I'm with you cool, on that. Cool trucks for what they are. So anybody you. wants to argue that with me, you can, but I like them. <laughs> I'm with you with that. I, I have a, a friend of mine. He's really big in the collecting the Hot Wheels. And I said, hey, if you get a Cyclone one, send it my way. You know, they're cool. Yeah. yeah. Respect them all. <laughs> they're cool. They are cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's. <laughs> I was kind of expecting the whole Hemi swap thing to start. Once you get into the LS stuff and you see how many cars and how many different routes that people are going with their LS swaps, it was only a matter of time before people wanted to be a little bit different and get the Hemis going. I have not seen a Hemi in any drift car yet. Now, maybe I just don't know that much, but um, I know that they're putting them in all sorts of other crazy stuff. So it's only a matter of time. So I, uh, that's exciting. If I was you, I'd be really excited about that because you're going to get all sorts of you're probably going to hear from people that have really on the down low projects like, all right, yeah. don't tell anybody about this. Yeah, this is top secret stuff. So that's really cool. Man. But yeah, you can tell me I won't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the um, one thing I wanted to say is um, the prices are really coming down. And when you look at what you get bang for the buck out of a new Hemi, did you know that you could buy a crate 392 long block on rock auto for like three grand? No, I did not know that Blake. And now that you've told the world, <laughs> they're going to be sold That's out. Good. And I'm probably yeah. not going to get one. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, I didn't okay. know that. I didn't, I didn't know you could get yeah. uh, engines from rock auto. I really didn't. Wow. Yes. So it's, it's like, I want to say it was 28. Last I checked, this was about a month ago. Someone mentioned it and I said, well, I've got to check this out. It's like 28 or 2,900 plus you have a core and shipping. So it comes out to be a little over $3,000 for a long box, 485 horsepower, 392 shipped to your door. That's a deal. That is a crazy deal. deal. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I don't think... You're going to see him put in everything. I saw a, yeah. Yeah. That's because I, I saw a wrecking yard by me. I forget what it's called. They deal with classic cars. Um, All American classics in Vancouver, Washington. I think they had a, uh, a dropout 6.1 out of an SRT eight. They had a vortex supercharger on it. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. How much? I'm like 10 grand, 9,995 or something like that. I was like, it hurt my heart. I was like, I like Vortex superchargers just as much as the next guy, but pull that off and I'll give you a thousand bucks for that thing. Yeah. Uh, but God, you know, I think high. there's still that dude, there's still that stigma on the Mopar thing though, where people think they got Mopar stuff. They can just jack up the price, but I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to get cheaper. There's millions of these Hemi cars out there. So that's really exciting. Cause that's just, I mean, all those engines in the wrecking yards. Cause one thing that I'm scared of with this five, seven Hemi that I got, cause it's going to go in my little D 100. Um, I really want to turbocharge it and I really just want to see what it can handle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I blow it up, it was a hundred bucks, you know, except for that belt. Yeah, that's but fine. We won't talk about it again. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, man, I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm going to get, I'm going to get it for that one. I'm never going to live that one down. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I think when I start seeing these things show up in the wrecking yard, I'm going to start swooping up on them when they're uh, cheap because I have a feeling that once I start playing with boost on these things, 
Um, I want to see what they're capable of. One, I want to see what they're capable of with stock internals. And then, you know, we'll see what happens when you throw forge stuff in there. But it's one of those things where you just got to learn by trying. And uh, I want to know what a stock, I want to know what a stock Hemi can handle as far as boost. I've heard rumors. I've heard, I've heard you don't want to turbocharge the 6.4s without opening them up. I've heard the 6.1s are better for turbocharging. I've heard it all. I have a 5.7, so we're going to see what that thing can handle, but I don't know. I'm really excited. Uh, I have decided because my dart, I have a 451 stroker that I'm having built for the dart. And, you know, as time goes on, I really, really want to put a third generation Hemi in it. So I'm so deep in this big block swap that I'm just going to have fun with the big block for a little bit. Mm -hmm. But now that you told me about this rock auto stuff, now I'm like, okay, I might have to, uh, I might have to reach out to Rock Auto and say, "Hey, why don't you uh, sponsor the podcast and send me one of those <laughs> long blocks?" Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean they're only three thousand bucks, right? I mean, come on. Oh yeah, um, and that's a that's a Mopar that's part a, number. God, that's that's, that's Mopar part wow. number, baby. God, that's crazy. Wow, yeah. that is insane. Yeah, that's man. They're gonna get they're gonna get their website blown up, and they're gonna be like, "Where is all this traffic coming from?" Hmm. Talking <laughs> um, Mopars. Just let me know what type of royalty yeah. check you get. God, <laughs> a couple bucks. <laughs> they couple might send bucks. me a Rock Auto sticker or something. <laughs> um, back to DIY Hemi. So you've kind of given us a sneak peek at what's coming. What do you see? Like, what do you, where do you vision DIY Hemi and say the next, you know, handful of years? Where do you want to see DIY Hemi at? I want to see it grow to a self-sustained business that really, I want to help people. I mean, that's, I think if you help people, that's the number one thing that you can do as a contributor in life, you know? So I want to see physical parts that people need stuff that they could use in, in their hobbies. You know, this is all our passion. This is what we do for fun. So I want to continue to teach people for sure. And I want to see the Hemi, videos, the technical videos to really ramp up and take off so that uh, we're reaching as many people as possible. So that's, you know, kind of first and foremost. Secondly, is I want to continue to develop products that um, I can put out there for people. So I do a lot of solid modeling, three-dimensional modeling and uh, prototype builds. So I would love to see this become the the common namesake when it comes to Hemi swaps. Oh, well, you got to go get, you know, this part from Hemi swap, uh, DIY Hemi, because, um, it just makes my life so much easier. You know, it's just, it's worth it. You know, I don't want to sell people stuff they don't need. I want to sell people stuff that really helps them. And I want to, I want to see the community grow. So you, we look at the, the cool guys like Mike uh, Finney and all those guys at roadkill, they, they go out to a car show and people just want to be around them and they want to learn from them. That that's where this has got to go. It's got to be part of the movement, part of what we're trying to do as a Mopar community. And let's, let's put the secrecy down. Let's go out there. Let's give the, the bow tie guys and the oval guys some hell and have some fun together. That's what I wanted to do. I, I just want to enjoy it. That's, that's really all it is. Absolutely. You're a guy with good intentions and I appreciate that. And I think you're doing a great thing for the Mopar community. And I really see this thing blowing up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I really am excited about getting this five, seven in my truck. The problem is, <laughs> is I have, 
I have the heads over at my buddy Norm's place right now. He's the guy who uh, is building my engine and he's behind on my engine. Well, not behind, but let's just say that my stroker is in front of the Hemi. So now I'm like getting impatient. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, mm-hmm. I talked to Blake this weekend, Norm, I need you to, you know, push that stroker out a little bit quicker so that I can get that Hemi in there. <laughs> but man, start sourcing uh, some later uh, D100 stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I will tell you right now. I saw the truck you guys did. That was pretty cool. Tell me a little bit about the truck. Yeah. How'd that come about? Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, that was a local truck its whole life. It actually started out life at the dealership my mom worked at. Uh, so it was oh, really? an 88 D1. Yeah, it was 88 D100. And um, it was bought brand new by a mechanic at the dealership. And he ran it for about three years. His friend, who is also a mechanic uh, at the next stall over from him, uh, bought it when the original owner traded it in. So, and that guy's had it ever since. And that was like, you know, 92, 93, something like that. Uh, he works with me uh, at my day job. And he was discussing how his tired little 318, 300,000 miles, the truck does not look like it has 300,000 miles on it. It's immaculate. It's flawless. Uh, he just said, you know, I, I, I want to rebuild this 318. This is the kind of money I'm looking at spending on it. Um, what do you think? You know, we're all car guys. And I said, I think you need to hit me swap it. Of course, that's kind of my answer for everything. That's not, you know, high dollar collectibles. Just hit me swap it. And, uh, I was able to get him in touch with the local sheriff's office where I went to auction and bought, uh, the police cars. He was able to get him one for very low miles for like 1200, 1500 bucks. And I said, you physically bolted in. Here's a laundry list. This is what you need. Uh, you go ahead, bolt all this stuff in and come back and see me. You know, it had been a while since he was a mechanic, uh, but he still has all his tools. I know he could do it. And sure enough, the truck showed up to my house, my shop one day on a flatbed. And we did all the wiring and the fuel system. And it's been running ever since. He's been enjoying it. Uh, he does need to get rid of the one wheel peel, though. It, it kind of it, it leaves them, uh, <laughs> them long single stripes down the road. Uh, but it's, it was, it was a learning curve on the 2013 because Dodge got really tricky, uh, when it comes to computer tuning. So we had to figure out, uh, what they call uh, a start signal condition and we got it figured out, but, uh, it was, uh, it threw us for a loop for a couple of weeks. We got it. Yeah. You're a lot smarter than me. I would have been like, okay, well, it was fun. It was fun playing. I guess uh, <laughs> that, that's, you know, and that's a huge thing for people out there. Cause I know that when I even remotely thought about a modern Hemi swap, the knowledge gap for me was so big that I was like, gosh, uh, I don't know. It's scary. So finding your website was a godsend, but you know, I know there's people out there, even with your website out there, I see the same questions over and over again. And it's so frustrating to me because I'm like, how do you not know about DIY Hemi? And I think it's only a matter of time before you blow up even more. But I want to just to give the guys out there, because I know there's some listening that have no idea what it takes to swap in uh, modern Hemi and an old Mopar. So I want to give you a scenario and I want to kind of see where this goes. 
So let's just say my name is Bob and I have a 69 Coronet 318 car. It's stripped out, no engine, but I do have the small block 727 transmission in it still. Everything from the transmission back I still have, but there's nothing in the engine bay as far as it's a roller car. Mm -hmm. How would I go about, how would, how would you suggest me going about putting in a Hemi, a modern Hemi? And what Hemi would you suggest with, you know, let's be reasonable and say that price is an object. This is a budget build, you know, nothing crazy. Where would you, you know, suggest a guy, okay. you know, start? What I would recommend, I think, is uh, for a budget build, it's perfect. First thing we need to take away from this specific scenario you have here is very ingeniously, the third generation Hemi has the exact same bell housing bolt pattern as all the old school small blocks from, say, from like 67 down, <clears throat> like the 67 340 uh, down to like the LA blocks. It never really changed. I have a theory on that. Um, basically, is with each iteration of a new vehicle, Chrysler didn't build the whole powertrain from scratch. So, you know, you had your, say, your 727s, and then Dodge or Chrysler at times says, okay, well, let's let's tweak the old LA blocks and let's make a Magnum block. Well, we're not going to rebuild the 727, so it still has to have the same mating you know, surface, the same bell housing. And then vice versa, you know, they had the, the Magnum 318s, the 360s, the small blocks, and then sometime in the 90s they said, well, um, we need to have overdrive. So now let's make the new transmission match the bell housing. So luckily over the years of attrition, what we have now is a third generation Hemi that has the same bell housing as all the small blocks from 67 on down. So what you could do is bolt that third generation Hemi directly to that 727 small block transmission. The same thing goes for like the, the three speeds and the four speeds of its day. You just use the small block bell housing for the four speed or three speed. Now, that's a beautiful thing. Did you know that the third generation Hemi bell housing bolts are three eighths thread? So the only standard bolts on the entire Gen 3 Hemi are the bell housing bolts. So you could literally reuse the bell housing bolts from that 67 Cornet and bolt it all straight together to make the Hemi work with that 727, you would need a flex plate adapter basically because the, the depth of the bell crank, I'm sorry, the depth of the crankshaft is different from a, a new Hemi to the, the old school small block. So it's a 60 or $70 flex plate that allows you to run the old school 727 torque converter. Everything bolts up. Now you need to look at an oil pan because of the, the steering linkage system that the old Mopars had. You need a center sump oil pan for that application. The most common for that is the Milodon. Uh, I think there's Canton makes one, and there's one other manufacturer. The name escapes me. But you get that center sump oil pan with the pickup tube. And then you need the engine mounts. So TTI, I believe, makes the engine mounts for that, as well as Schumacher. There's maybe three or four companies that make the engine mounts. You reuse the same transmission mount because the same transmission's in the car. You also reuse the same drive shaft. You use the same original shifter linkages, all of that stuff original to the car. It's going to work. That's fine. So now at this point, you've purchased the motor mounts. You've purchased the oil pan and the flex plate adapter. The third gen Hemi is bolted into your car. That easy. Okay. 
Now what we're looking at is fuel system. So a Hemi requires, late model Hemi requires roughly 58 to 60 pounds of fuel pressure. Uh, you accomplish that by an in-tank fuel pump. There are some companies, Tanks Inc., I believe, makes the B-body one as well as the E-body. So it, it physically looks identical to an original B-body uh, fuel tank, with the exception of it has an internal baffle to prevent fuel slosh. So with an EFI vehicle, the fuel pump in the tank cannot be starved, right? So it, it has to have a, a bowl of fuel around that fuel pump suction inside the tank. So think of hitting a, a sharp curve and all the fuel sloshes to one side. It could starve the fuel pump and then the engine would die. Um, what these tanks have is just an internal bucket, if you will, that keeps uh, a concentrated volume of fuel around the fuel pump. Uh, when you're going through turns. There's a couple ways you can accomplish that. You can even reuse your existing fuel tank by just drilling a four and a half inch hole and putting like the Aeromotive Phantom uh, fuel injection kit in there. That's kind of pricey. Um, budget, I would say Milidon oil pan, TTI motor mounts, and then get uh, the tank sink fuel tank because it's the tank's like 200 bucks, I think, and another 200 for the fuel pump system. So, all right. Now, where are we? Engines in the car, my fuel systems ran. Now we have to look at uh, cooling and wiring. Cooling, uh, what I would recommend doing is going with the Champion radiator because it has um, the offset uh, hoses to the same side, which is common with the, the Hemi cars. It's like 200 bucks, get you a Champion radiator or reuse the one from the donor car that the engine came out of. A lot of time those can be made to fit in those big B bodies. All right, moving on to wiring. The way we like to do the wiring systems is very budget friendly. So instead of completely rebuilding a wiring harness from scratch, what you're doing is you're adapting the existing wiring harness to work in a standalone configuration. Chrysler was very smart about this. What they did as the vehicles were coming down the assembly line is they had the engine transmission powertrains all together on the assembly line with the powertrain wiring harness draped over the engine. And as like say the cars, you know, as the car bodies were being dropped down on top of the powertrain, your assembly line technician had like a body connector and an ECM connector. They would just, just plug it in. And that, that's it. And the car would go down the assembly line and that connected the powertrain to the body. So the approach we took is we said, well, why are we buying an entire $1,700 standalone wiring harness? They're beautiful. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I love the people that make them and they're very knowledgeable people, but there's a more cost effective way of doing this. So what we did is we sourced the body connectors and our guides, our tutorials say, okay, get a fuse box. Okay. And these wires need to go to this body connector. These wires need to go to the ECM connector. And these wires need to go to like the gas pedal and the OBD connector inside the car. There you go. So now you've shrunk down by over a thousand dollars, the cost of your wiring harness. You plug in the wiring harness, you supply a battery positive, 12 volts key on when you hit the ignition switch, a starter signal coming from the ignition, and you're up and off to the races. See, 
funny thing here is I've been taking notes over here, just little notes. And then I realized, hey, this is a podcast, you idiot. You're going to listen to it after this interview. So I don't even need to take notes. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you make it sound, you make it sound really Sorry. easy. It's and all good. I think that's good because the way you explained it, hopefully anybody listening that's interested in doing a modern hemi swap will realize, okay, you know, there's not too much to it because you start talking, you know, I, I know there's people out there that don't understand that you can use these old transmissions, you know, even a 904 from what I understand bolts right up. So, and the four speed, mm -hmm. I know, I know you had the four speed. So Absolutely. a pistol grip behind a modern hemi. How cool is that? That is awesome. So I really, you know, I'd be surprised if there are people listening to this and they don't go, oh, wow, it's really not that hard. You know, and like you're saying, you guys offer, you guys offer the thing with it's me. Not. It's all about wiring. The only reason why my D100, which is like 10 feet away right now in the, in the garage, is not running is because those old Dodge trucks, man, they had this bulkhead connector and it just it corrodes out with the ammeter and all that stuff. I won't get into that, but I decided, oh, I've never rewired a car. I'm going to go ahead and get one of these universal wiring kits and I'm going to rewire this truck. And <laughs> I got the engine bay done. I got the wires ran through the frame and I got into the cab and how can I say this without making myself sound stupid? I'm stupid when it comes to universal wiring kits. And this thing is all of a sudden I'm like, I thought this was a, English manual is suddenly somewhere around page 38. It turned Chinese on me. So now I'm like, all right. And it's so universal that they're showing me this Mopar. Like it breaks it down. Oh, Mopar GM, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like this, I'm not looking at the same stuff here. What is going on? So sometimes with projects, guys, I know there's people out there that are listening that understand this. Sometimes with projects, you just kind of have to walk away for a little bit and not be frustrated. <laughs> so I need to get back in there and, do that. But now I'm wondering, uh, maybe I should have, because I'm worried when I go to put the Hemi in that this aftermarket kit, this wiring kit is going to make my life even harder <laughs> to swap this Hemi in. You don't think so? No, not at all. Oh, no, not at all. You know, what I really like about the modern Hemi is it is almost just begging to be in standalone configuration and gosh darn it. They're just badass. They're cool. Right. Um, for example, the transmission, you know, you can take pretty much any Hemi Gentry Hemi out of a, a vehicle, a donor vehicle and make it run in standalone configuration and it won't go into limp mode because it doesn't detect the automatic transmission behind it. All right. It doesn't uh, operate or rev correctly because um, it's looking for some sort of uh, an input from the transmission, believe it or not, especially with the, the, like to see Oh three through the Oh eights. Um, the ECM just, it does its own thing. It almost like it's, it has the blinders on it. Just, it, it operates by itself. So you could just give it what it needs to the ECM, the 12 volt constant, the, the ground 12 volt key on starter sense. And it just wants to run it. That's what it wants. You know, it doesn't matter how your wiring harness is in that truck. It doesn't care. You could, 
you could have a guy with some jumper cables and a couple rocker switches. Uh, how about a car like that? Don't let me get into that story. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so simple. It really is. And I want to just break down that that misconception that it's something that's rocket scientist. It, it's not. It's not rocket science Good. at all. Because like I, I, I think I alluded to it a few minutes ago. As far as the transmissions and stuff go, I think there's a lot of people that don't understand that they can bolt their existing transmission to these engines. So they're thinking they got to get the engine, they got to get the transmission, and then, you know, with no knowledge of DIY Hemi, they're going and looking at some of these standalone systems, and they're getting sticker shock. And, you know, for those of you out there that have been sticker shock, go to DIYHemi.com, please. (laughs) Um, I just... And I, I totally understand where they're coming from because at first when I was looking into stuff, I was sticker shocked too because for some reason I had this notion that, you know, I had to have the modern transmission and stuff too. And I just don't think that, I think, I think people are overlooking the fact that like you're saying, it's a lot. I mean, of course, a smart person like you who's done it many times, I'm sure it's becoming easier and easier. But for someone like me, I need things broken down. You know what I mean? I'm... <laughs> Like I, I equated, I'm a new father. My daughter's about to turn one and I look at her little picture books and I'm thinking to myself, if they had books like this on how to rebuild Mopars and how to swap in modern Hemis, I'd probably be okay. But, uh, you know, I, with DIY Hemi, it's just, you guys have made it way, way easier for people like me, especially because I'm just one of those people that I need, like, I know it's the manly thing to do to build stuff without instructions, blah, blah, blah. I need instructions because <laughs> even then I'm reading these instructions. I'm like, maybe the reason why people say, Hey, you don't need instructions is because they're like me and they start reading these instructions. They go, Oh, well, <laughs> this ain't helping me at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, I get it. I totally get it. But if, if it eases your, your, your pain or your, uh, your, anxiety at all let's just take a step back in history you know look at the 1920s they had the model t and how simple that that engine is look at the 30s and you know our early chryslers that we love that they're so dear to us right think of being in the the late 60s when the gen 2 hemi came about and and all of a sudden okay now we have electronic ignition and these things in that same breath back then People were in the same mindset. Oh, what's this new stuff? What? It's so complicated. What's? What do you mean electric ignition, electronic ignition? It's, what? What is this? I don't. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But with time, patience, and you know, a little bit of education, it just becomes old hat, and you can just rock and roll with it. You know. In the '60s, they put a man on the moon, and we did it again. What? Yes, uh, we're putting person in space here recently, right? And you think about it. It can be done. Just take a deep breath. You know, there's always going to be the next best thing, the next level that may be overwhelming, but it's nothing that you can't do with a little bit of patience. It really isn't. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this with DIY Hemi. Obviously, you have a day job and DIY Hemi is like your pet project on the side. That's, I think, going to be really successful. Do you have a plan lined up? Because I imagine there's people out there that go, cool, yeah, it's really easy, neat. 
Blake, I don't have the time. I would rather just send you my car and do the swap for me. Like me, for instance, hey, Blake, take my truck, do the swap for me, buddy. Uh, is that something that you guys are looking at doing right. in the future? It's a possibility. Um, you know, right now, because I you know, do have a day job and we want to maximize our efficiency, we're really about parts right now, parts and tutorials. Uh, I love getting my hands dirty. I love doing the swaps. I love learning new things. It's just not in the cards right now because, you know, when you get a swap in and you have a customer there, the way I work in my mind is that's my focus. You're, you're my person. If you're paying me to do this installation on your car, I'm going to put everything aside. I'm going to get it knocked out and it's going to be perfect. It's got to be perfect when it leaves here. What that does is it takes that direct time and focus on, and I'm on one person, you know, um, instead of helping a dozen people who have questions online and instead of um, really developing R&D, getting those products out there that the community needs, I'm now in the weeds on one car because I'm just, I'm an, a perfectionist. I got to get it just right before it leaves the door, right? Um, and it just, if you look at just the volume of service, it just doesn't do it, you know, right now. Now, when we get big enough to where we have technicians that I can get guided through the process and they become comfortable with the whole Hemi swap uh, activities. Oh, absolutely. I love seeing cool stuff roll through the door and I could still have that same level of perfectionism on a vehicle before it leaves the door. But right now it's about helping the masses and the masses is in email support. It's in the technical manuals. It's in these individual parts that we could ship all around the world. Uh, right now, we just don't have the we don't have the time for what I consider the the level of work that a customer needs directly. I completely understand that, and i I mentioned it because I think it is definitely a possibility in the future because I just see there's just so many people that just don't have. I mean, it's hard to find time in today's world. You know, to live, you have to have a job that you know you're working at constantly. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know what it's like down in Louisiana, but up here. It's so expensive to live. I want to move to Texas or somewhere south, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I really, it's just so expensive up here to live that I'm like, gosh, if I move somewhere a little bit cheaper, <laughs> I could probably afford this, <laughs> this hobby a little bit more. But that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah. I definitely, I mean, there's so many LS swap companies that I just, you know, and people like you are making this swap so easy that. I just, I, I can't help, but I, I see a lot of shops, yourself included, possibly, you know, getting into this. And like I said earlier, I see more than just classic Mopars getting these swaps. <laughs> I just, I, I feel like it's coming. Mm -hmm. There's a market there well, somewhere right. for something. I feel so yeah, you're, you're, and I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm horrible for my time. You got to forgive me. But uh, you're absolutely right. We get so many emails from people who want to swap late model Mopar. So, you know, Jeeps. Jeeps is huge. Jeep persons love the Hemi swap, and they have some kits out there. We get questions on those on the daily. A lot of vehicles like your V6 Chargers and Challengers, people want to go up to, you know, some, some more horsepower and really get that driving machine that they wanted, I guess, from the get-go. Um, 
we get those questions all the time and that ties back into the time aspect. So with a full-time day job, answering emails, doing web support, doing R and D, doing all these things, um, we have to take baby steps and it might be a couple days before we can get all of our emails returned. We're, we're doing the best we can and we want to, and I, I would love to write the entire book on Hemiswap. Say, Oh, you have a 2003 Dodge with a 4.7. You want to go with a 6.1 in it now or, or what have you. Yep. This is what you need to do step-by-step. Step. I would love to get to that point, but it's all baby steps. And, um, I think it's pretty cool. You know, insurance thinks you have a V6 Challenger and you have a Hellcat. I mean, hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm all for the even the modern vehicles getting those swaps and it's going to come with time. Yeah, definitely. Um, God, I didn't even think about that. Gosh, that's a whole nother conversation. So I guess that that leads me to this question. How much more difficulty is involved in swapping a v6 we'll just say charger with a v6 a modern charger with a v6 guy wants a hemi modern hemi how difficult is that swap versus oh my 69 coronet that i just want to put a hemi a modern hemi in how much you know what's the learning curve there is it a lot more difficult or that's a great question you know i am so comfortable with the old school it is it's very simple to me now the new school i know the theory in it just because of all the work that I've done in researching what goes into an old school. So when we're talking about like the NAG1 transmission, NAG1, that's the the one that people are really gravitating to, or the new eight speeds, you know, putting those in the classic cars, you know, getting that understanding of, okay, well, how do we make this work? What are the inputs needed to make this work? Okay, well, we need the actual shifter out of the donor car because it has a module integrated in the shifter handle. We need the body control module. We need the front... Uh, the front control module that ties into the ABS brakes, you know, because we have to get speed signal to the ECM. It's, you know, all these little pieces and modules, because if you want to run that very complex eight speed transmission, you have to have all these factors, uh, you know, tied into the old school. It can be done. I think, uh, sound German automotives, great company. They, they figured it out. And, you know, through what I've done through my research to figure out how it works, um, it could be done for sure. But when we're talking about a newer vehicle, if you want to do that same activity, let's swap that 392 with an eight speed into a V6 Challenger. Well, you have so much more technology in that newer Challenger. All those modules have to match. So in each specific module, you know, it could be anything from the tire pressure sensor module, the body control modules, uh, the RFID sensors, which route through the body control module, the ABS module the transmission control module, the ECM. So the list goes on and on and on. All of those have to speak with one another over the CAN bus network. They all have to have matching programming, the matching VIN numbers. All those things have to speak with one another to be able to to have the, the vehicle operate correctly. So if you were to just take the powertrain and bolt it right in, you had a wrecked one, you take the powertrain, bolt it right in, the ECM, you changed over from the V6 to the V8 ECM. They look physically the same. It's the GPEC2 ECM if it's a newer one. Uh, but the tuning and the programming is different. The VIN number and all that stuff, the information data set that's in those modules, is, it's different. So you go to fire that car up for the first time and it just it probably won't do anything. It, it may not even start. So 
that's when you have to get dealer scan tools or very complex aftermarket scanning software. And you have to go in and reprogram all these modules to communicate with one another. Um, if you have the tool set, those very expensive tools, it's not a heck of a lot more uh, difficult than, say, an old school. But it, it adds a layer of complexity, to be, to be honest. You know, because all these little computers all over the the whole car have to talk with the new powertrain. It just sounds to me like in a situation like that, I would say, hey, just get rid of the V6 car and go get yourself an SRT8 or an RT. <laughs> you know, save yourself the trouble. I uh, well, right now you're right. Yeah, I mean, who knows where the future is? Right now you're right. It just it just seems way yeah. more complicated. I plus, I mean, let's be honest here the old metal with the modern engines are the rage. And I think they're going to be the rage for quite a few years to come. I don't think that that's going to change because a, lo a lot of people are just like, Hey, I want something that I can jump in, turn that key once, no problem. Fuel injected, you know, runs great, but it has that old look. And, you know, frankly, I don't know what this, you know, this global warming and all this stuff, you know, who knows what kind of, standards they're going to put on emissions for these old carbureted cars so you know you may be so far ahead of the game here that you know for the, i've always predicted that they're going to put some sort of ridiculous tax on old classic cars that are still carbureted zero emissions vehicles as far as i just i see them going oh you have an old you know polluting machine we're going to go ahead and tax you you're going to have to pay x amount of money to drive that car and for a lot of us you know budget guys who knows how much that tax is going to be you know what i mean i know in japan a lot of the japanese cars get scrapped when they're only a few years old just because they have a tax for however old your car gets they have some crazy um tax that they tax you for having an older vehicle so i, I just knowing Knowing our current political climate, I could see them somehow taxing the guys who, you know, the gearheads. But that brings me to another question. A lot of people look at these modern Hemis and they go, okay, you know, fuel injection. I'm not a fuel injected guy. I like carbs. Now, I know that they do make manifolds that you can put on these um, modern Hemis and go carbs with them. How much does that change what you guys do as far as the wiring and all that stuff is does it change it completely or is that something that you still have um your products are still good for i'm just kind of curious because i've wondered what i'm going to do with my truck because to be honest i'm not a fan of the aesthetics of this plastic intake i don't like it <laughs> and i would much rather just put a aluminum intake on it you know that's one thing that's my biggest complaint about the Hemis is the yeah. ones with the yeah, I, I get it. That's why personally, I like the 6.1. I think it looks awesome with the aluminum intake, <laughs> but you know, that's just me, but I'm just curious, you know, what, uh, what, if anything, as far as what DIY offers, um, is that, does that change anything with wiring? Yes, it does. So, you know, you're not, um, you're no longer using um, the the fuel injectors, um, so it's difficult for an OEM to compute to compute uh, a running engine without getting feedback from fuel injectors and 
uh, the things, the, the operating parameters that it needs, right? So these ECMs look for specific conditions and when they sense faults, they'll go into a limp mode or maybe they'll uh, just cease to run altogether. So if you do want to run an old school carburetor, then yes, you would have to go to a, a different um, ignition system, you know? So like, I think fast has a pretty good system out there. Um, not sure if Fitech has anything other than uh, just their direct injection systems, but yeah, like your Holly MSD, all those companies have carbureted applications that's separate. And it's just because that's not how that factory ECM was designed. It was not designed for a carbureted application. I like them. I like them all. I mean, my personal belief is fuel injection was designed for a reason. And it's been around for so many, it's been around since the eighties for a reason is you get better atomization of fuel. You get better fuel efficiency. You get better power. Um, it, it's just, it's a better way to operate the engine and you have better control over the engine. Do I still like carburetors? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. But there's ways to get that look that, that old school look without having to go carburetor. So, uh, Joe Cohn, I think OC performance, he's developed an aluminum manifold for the gen threes and it's, it's doing great. It looks a lot like an old school second Edelbrock aluminum manifold. And you actually can still utilize the factory throttle body. It's actually rotated to where it's kind of horizontal with the opening sticking straight up. It'll bolt to it. So with his manifold, you can run a carburetor if you want, or you could run a factory throttle body, put an air cleaner on top of it, and it looks completely old school, but you're still electronic fuel injection, running the factory ECM. Everything is operating to the best that it can efficiently given the electronic system, but it gives you that old school look. Okay. Well that just changed the game for me. I didn't know that existed. Now I have to, great. Now I get, yeah, I get to go down a rabbit hole after this interview. I get to go look at all that. Cause I, like I said earlier, I really want to turbocharge this thing. And you know, with fuel injection, you get all the, you know, the tunability is on a whole nother level when you get fuel injection involved. So that's kind of the fence I was on. I was like, do I make it, simpler as far as wiring because like i said earlier too i'm an idiot when it comes to wiring and electronics it's all foreign to me um so when you talk about canvas systems and connectors and all that stuff, i understand a connector yeah i understand what a connector does <laughs> but this all this other stuff i'm like oh that's a mercedes logo yep not touching it <laughs> um <laughs> but uh oh no it's got the voodoo yeah 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 I don't know how to read this, <laughs> um, but uh, I think that in the long run with DIY Hemi's help, I should be able to keep the fuel injection. And I guess I'll, you know, now that I know I can make it look better. Cause like I said, it's just that, that plastic. I don't know. There's something about the plastic of the new cars that know. really kind of turns me off, but you know, we'll find a way around it. I'm sure that's one thing that, bothers me too is that with the 06 hemi that i have i've noticed that until what if what you're saying i gotta go check out this uh this other manifold but all the ones that i've been seeing from you know holly and whatnot they're all for the newer hemis and not necessarily the one that i have which frustrated me a little bit because i was like god i just some of those manifolds look really nice 
And I'm looking at the years and I'm like, oh, oh, nine plus, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So that that's kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that the aftermarket support for all the Hemis gets better in the next few years. We'll see. Yeah, I would check Joe Joe out. He uh, he actually may be a good guest for you in the future. He uh, he just really is a down to earth guy. He developed this intake manifold himself. And he's had phenomenal results. He he races it. He attends a lot of the Mopar events. Really good guy. You, you talk to him, and um, he's knowledgeable. He's very friendly, and uh, he has a great product. And I couldn't recommend him anymore. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely reach out to him. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about as far as DIY Hemi? Anything else that uh, you want everybody listening to know about the company? No. Um, yeah, I guess if you want to get in touch with us, uh, just please be patient. We answer our emails as much as possible, but we're going to have some opportunities to actually have some face-to-face, some seat time. Uh, we will be at Chrysler's at Carlisle in is it July, the week of the 9th through the 11th, I believe. We'll be up there uh, involved with the seminar for Gen 3 Hemi Swap. So we'll be there. I think Joe will be there and a couple other professionals in the industry. If you want to just pull up a seat and have face-to-face, ask any question, no bars, um, that would be the place to go. So go out to Chrysler's at Carlisle. Check us out there. After that, I think the next thing we have on the calendar is Mopars at the Coast down at the the famous Cruising the Coast block party. So the Cruising the Coast week-long car show that takes place on the Mississippi Gulf Coast will be down there for that Mopar event with some samples of our products, wiring harnesses on display, free tech help. If, if you're having some issues with your Hemi swap, come on down. We'll help you out. Awesome, man. Yeah. There's, there's so many shows out there. I want to, I want to, I've got a bucket list that's so big, like Chrysler's <laughs> at Carlisle. You think that a guy who has a podcast about Mopars, that would be like his go-to. And I would have already gone there for 10 years in a row, but I have not yet been to Chrysler's at Carlisle. And I, that's a, on my bucket list. It's one of the top on my bucket list. Um, so that's, that's actually a really cool, I didn't know that you were going to be there for that event. So that's really cool. So anybody that's going to Chrysler's at Carlisle, you owe it to yourself to go check out DIY Hemi and all those guys talking about Hemi swap stuff. That's very cool. Um, awesome, man. Well, let's stray away from DIY Hemi for a minute. Not that it's not cool. <laughs> DIY Hemi is awesome. Um, but I, I do like, <laughs> As you know, with this show, I talk a lot about prices of Mopars, especially the classics and the project cars. I always like to see what people's opinions are on the current Mopar marketplace. So how do you see the current marketplace? Do you think these prices are out of hand? And what direction do you see this market headed? Are we are we on an upturn and the prices are just going to keep skyrocketing? Or are we going to get some sort of a break sometime soon so that some of us, like myself, can get into these E bodies and V bodies. What do you think? Um, I think it's a great question. So, you know, obviously with all the things going on in the world right now, I think we're going to see a slight drop in some of these prices, especially for the, the more, um, desired ones, like a 70, uh, B body, you know, Oh my gosh, what would I do to have a 70 Roadrunner? Right. Um, you're going to see those drop just a little bit, but not for long. What Chrysler does that I think is great is they do something that no other manufacturer does. 
and or at least not well. They drive the passion. I mean, the demon. Hello, <laughs> you know we got the scat packs. We got the 392 basically crammed and everything under the sun. You know you have the the rumors of the the Hellcat truck coming out, and you know there's so many other manufacturers out there, foreign and domestic, that just play it safe. You know you don't see the the high impact colors out there that Chrysler does. You don't see the the focus on the youth and that's a key component to this the the market of all mopars in general you know you go approach maybe a millennial or i think it's was a gen z the the generation after millennial you have to forgive me i i don't really know but you go to these kids that are like in their teens and maybe early 20s and you ask them uh, hey you know what a superbird is and <laughs> a lot of them may not be able to tell you but they can tell you what a demon is. They can tell you what uh, you know a shaker challenger is, and that opens the floor for so much more education and back history of what it is. So, you know, the discussion is they're at a car show and they have a shaker challenger, and an older guy, you know, maybe someone our age or a little bit older, comes up and says, "Yeah, I used to have a '70 challenger with a bubble shaker on it." And then it kicks off the discussion. Wow, I never knew those things existed. So by keeping today's youth engaged, what it's going to do is it's going to continue to foster that relationship and help preserve the value of these older cars, the ones that a lot of us really enjoy. Will they kind of maybe plateau for a while? I think so. But at least they're not going to hit rock bottom, at least is the way I see it. They're not going to hit rock bottom where you can, you know, buy a, a A12 car for 1500 bucks and a stick of bubble gum. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But uh, it's, it's really, it's the youth. It's all about the youth. You keep them engaged. The red-blooded young Americans out there buying those, those cars. And I think you always have that tied relationship. Awesome. Uh, you actually answered the next question I was going to ask, which was, what are your thoughts on modern Mopars? Um, so th I won't ask that one now. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I want one. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, man, me too. I, uh, God, I keep battling myself every day because like I said, I'm a fan of those 6.1s and they're older, but you know, I've driven, you know, that 6.4, there's something about that 6.4 that is just a monstrous. I don't know. I drove a 392 and that thing was just a, it was an animal. I was like, I don't need this car. This is going to get me in some serious trouble. <laughs> like any, anything with a little power is going to get me in trouble. But that thing, you know, it was my wife and I took one out and, uh, cause my buddy used to be the sales manager at a Dodge dealership. So, our little joke is I'll go into his little office and I'll go, Hey, what do you got? That's fast. And he'll just reach on the keyboard and throw me something. So he threw me, he threw me the keys says three ninety two, and my wife and I go out there and we get in it and I look at her and I was like, you've never actually ridden with me in a performance car. She's like, no. And so I'm thinking, you know, big shot. I'm like, all right, I'm going to show you how I can drive. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I had never really played with paddle shifters in one of those cars before. So <laughs> the on-ramp to the freeway, it's like a really sharp right-hand corner and then a straightaway to the freeway. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm coming up on the corner and I'm like, oh, what is it? Paddle shift this sucker down and just let her rip, dude. Man, I about had a heart attack, dude. I thought it was on ice. That thing, because of course, when I got in it, I'm like, all right, sport mode on. Let's turn this traction control. That's a sissy button. We're going to turn that one off. <laughs> We're just going to see what the thing can do. 
Oh man, I played it off really cool, but my butt was so puckered. Oh my god, I w- I was probably up off the seat. I was so puckered. I was like, oh god, oh god. I'm trying to play it cool, and this thing's coming out, and I could just see my wife hanging on for dear life. And then uh, once I once I got it under control and had it straight, and realized I wasn't getting us killed, man, I put my foot in that thing, and it just whew, and the power of those things is just it scares me to think that anybody with a big enough wallet or good enough credit can go buy a hellcat and or god forbid uh hellcat red eye or a demon for god's sakes anybody with money can go get one of those and have no idea what they're doing and oh no that's a scary that's a scary thought for me <laughs> you know what i mean that is scary but i will tell but, you this i would definitely try it <laughs> oh yeah Oh yeah. I survived one once. (laughs) I already survived one once. I may not take the sissy button off right away. I may just feel it out. Uh, but the red key is definitely going in that sucker. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But, um, yeah. So modern Mopars for me. Yes. But I would never feel comfortable only owning modern Mopars. And to be honest, I don't think I'd ever be comfortable not having a Mopar project car. I could finish, both of my cars in the garage have a modern Mopar and I'm still going to be on Craigslist late into the night <laughs> trying to figure out that next car that I want to buy. It's a, it's a sickness. It's a disease, but, uh, this show and companies like DIY Hemi keep that sickness at bay. So thank Thankfully those resources are out there for people like us. Um, but before we get into one of my favorite segments of direct connections, which is the six pack. Uh, I have to ask you, do you have any advice for the listeners that is Mopar related, possibly even any advice for swapping a modern Hemi into a classic Mopar, any piece of Mopar related advice that you can think of to give the listeners? Go ahead. I would say bar none, do it. You will not regret it. And the number one thing that I really hear from persons on the edge is they think it's complicated. The number two thing that I hear for people that are teetering on the decision is I don't want to affect the value of my classic Mopar or I don't want to affect the value of my vehicle. And nothing could be further from the truth. These engines are so direct bolt in that you could go back to original numbers matching all, you know, whatever you want to the nth degree, you could put it back to original and not hurt your vehicle whatsoever. It's literally, it's a bolt-in application. So for example, I get a lot of flack, right? We have a, a real J code AAR with a gen three in it. And people's like, Oh, it, it, it needs a six barrel. I get it. I agree. Like it's, it's got heritage there, but in a weekend we can change it. And, the, there's not one piece of sheet metal in this car that's been altered or impacted to where it can't go back to all original. So if you're on the fence for originality's sake, don't be. You know, you're able to enjoy your car. Maybe while you rebuild that original engine and, and set it on the stand to the side, don't don't be intimidated by it. It's very easy. The wiring is it's simple. You know, and and we can help you get there to get over that 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 worry or that concern that it's too cumbersome and it's too difficult to do. Don't hold back. If you're thinking about doing it, then obviously you have some 
bit of your heart that wants that the benefit that comes out of a Gen 3 Hemi, just go with it. If you absolutely hate it for some reason, you just can't stand it, you can go back to stock very, very easily. So it's, it's just like a no-lose situation. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you all this money. Just hold it. You could spend it if you want, but if you don't like it, you could give it back to me. It's kind of the same thing, you know? It's like, just try it. It, it, it won't hurt you, you know? And I think most people, when they, they actually just take the dive, they're just like, oh my God, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah, you know, that's that's awesome because I never even thought about the reversibility factor if I decided, oh, hey, maybe I took away from the value. I mean, let's just say I have a 68 Charger RT and I put a modern Hemi in it and I'm like, oh, I still have the original numbers matching engine and I just decided that I don't like this car anymore. I want a CUDA instead and I want to get as much money as I can and I'll probably get more money if I return it back to stock. You can still do that. Mm -hmm. So it's not irreversible. You're not altering the car permanently. Um, <clears throat> that's really cool. I never really thought of that aspect of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that's that's got great answer. Love it. Um, let me ask you this before we get into the six pack. I just thought about this. It just hit me. Is your CUDA the only AAR that has a modern Hemi swap in it? Do you know of any others? I do not. I know of some clones that have um, have the Gen 3 in it, but I don't know of any true AARs out there. I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I don't know. Um, you got to have tough skin sometimes to do stuff like that. Send all your hate mail to Blake at... <laughs> uh, no, that's actually... Hey, that's bragging rights, man. That's... I, I like that, you know, because it says that you're not scared to go outside the box, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that would they would probably never do that. I am with you 100%. I think it's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, you know, how many people can say they're AAR has a and Hemi? <laughs> and I don't want to fluff it. <laughs> and Chris, I don't want to fluff it here. You know, it's like a 20 or a 30 footer car. You know, let's, the way I like to look at it, and I've actually, I've had this discussion like on message boards and, you know, the good old Facebook, right? And they're like, oh my God, why would you do that? You ruined it. You ruined it. And when I just, you know, have a calm discussion with an open discussion and said, Hey, look, this thing sat in a barn for nearly 20 years, untouched off the road. No one saw it. It has a non original numbers powertrain that's tired. So I could take this powertrain, this 340, go completely through it, spend, you know, six to $10,000 doing all this work. And, months down the road maybe get it get it on the road you know all this time and energy to, and worried about someone else's opinion or in the corner i have this gen 3 hemi it's ready to go bolted in and my 20 footer my 40 footer car out there with nicks and chips and scratches and all that stuff it's on the road man we're out there getting the thumbs up from the little kids and the old guys and out there just having a hell of a time you know that's what it's about and i had that discussion and said look it's not original number and i can go back to original anytime i want if i ever you know built this up and, and was able to acquire the a ta block a ta block alone goes for like five grand now oh yeah <laughs> you know so if you look at it it's like 
it doesn't make any sense for me to sit on this car and let it collect dust and not let people see it and not enjoy it myself. That's probably the number one dream killer of projects is just sitting there and not being able to enjoy it, you know? So it, it just doesn't make sense to me anyway. And my, my opinion is get it out there, use it, love it, fall in love with the car, let people fall in love with your passion of Mopars and, and spread that love out there, you know? And then by all means, if you want to go numbers matching, do it down the road if you can. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, you know, I've tried to convey this on the podcast as much as I can and every chance I get. And that's that I'm almost more of a fan. Actually, I, I would go out and I would go out on a limb and say that I am more of a fan of cars like yours, you know, the 20 footers than the car that I know, you know, Richie Rich pulled out a wallet and paid, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to have his car completely redone. Are those cars awesome and cool? Yes. I love all Mopars, but there's something about a car that, I always look at it like the car was given a second chance. You know what I mean? You got mm-hmm. that car back on the road and said, you know what? I'm not going to sit on this car for 10 years and wait on body work and stuff. And I, I like cars built as found. I don't know why I, I've told my wife this before. And I was like, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm messed up in the head, but I still would rather see like at a stoplight. If I'm at a stoplight and there's a ratty Mopar, you know, it doesn't matter what it is and a brand new challenger. Hellcat, Demon, whatever, nice scat pack, wide body, something like that. My eyes are always going to oh, cool. It's going to go right to the ratty Mopar. And not they don't even have to be ratty. I think that term is thrown around too much. There's, hey, these cars are old. You know what I mean? That car may not be ratty. It may just be lightly used. Qu- I like a quality used car. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know. I ran when parked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Needs little. Um, I need to make it down to, uh, where you're at. I want to see this car in person someday. I don't know when that'll be, but I got to see the car in person. It just sounds too cool. Well, we're, we're hoping to get it out there. I will be bringing it to Carlisle. Um, Mo party. I'm not sure yet. I would like to talk with Holly and see if, if they'd have us, you know, I don't want to cause any issues. I don't want to go up to Holly and they're working on, their thing and, and sees me as stepping in there, you know, Oh, I'm better. No, I, it's a community, man. So if they'll have me, I would love to go up there. And the car is a driver in every sense. So it actually, I, I don't know. Let me, let me look left and right here and make sure nobody's out to jump out the bushes, but the car has been lowered two inches. It's got a protein suspension on it. It's got tubular upper control arms. I retained all the original parts. They're nice and safely packaged away. But the car is made to, like at LS Fest, they have an autocross. This thing, in the spirit of what an AAR was, it's a road race car. That's that's what they were designed after, that group. I want to get out there and inspire kids. I want to get in that car. I want to cut some corners and, you know, show off those rock chips. I don't care. You know, the, it is a driver in every sense of the word. And uh, to me, that's the most important thing is to just get out there and have fun with it. Absolutely. And gosh, I, I keep trying to get to the close of this show, but every, every time we get on these little tangents, something else comes up and I'm thinking to myself, I just went to visit my friend Kyle today to get um, some vintage Holly valve covers for free 18. And uh, we were talking about modern Mopars and he's building a car for somebody. And they were discussing whether or not they wanted to go, you know, more factory 
or if they wanted to get crazy with, you know, modernizing the suspension and whatnot. And we were talking about the night and day difference of how cool it is to have a old Mopar, just, you know, the torsion bar, all that stuff versus modernized suspension, coilovers and all that. And I want to get your opinion because you've mm-hmm. driven both. How much of a difference as far as night and day? And we obviously know it's crazy difference, but I like to hear it from the horse's mouth. Tell me what the difference is when you drive an old school Mopar versus one that's been upgraded as far as suspension goes. Okay. That's a fair question. So believe it or not, um, the old school torsion suspension is not that bad. Um, I would say it was a bit more of a boat like, you know, stock, you know, they did the best they could with their, their engineering and their designs back in the sixties and seventies. So in original configurations, they float a little bit, you know, they, they're not as crisp handlers. It's not a modern car by any stretch of the means, but with companies like PST Hotchkiss and those that have come up with stiffer torsion bars index for lowered center of gravity and those things, they've taken that original, design and they've improved on it so you don't have to cut up your fender wells and you don't have to cut out uh, maybe bump stops and stuff on the front suspension and put a full tubular you can if you want but believe it or not they've had some remarkable improvements on that original design so looking at my car when i first had it driven it around before the suspension upgrades it was fun it was it was very comfortable you know the steering response was it was lagging, you know, it just, it, it just didn't dart where you wanted it to. And there are some limitations in that original geometry. So like the tuber control arms allow you to get much more caster and camer. So when you're talking about performance feel, you know, just over time as engineering has approved over the decades, they've learned what a better geometry is for suspension. You know, all of your, your modern suspensions, um, they have this just better technology in them just, with time. So a couple of bolts on aftermarket parts totally changes the feel for this vehicle. So right now uh, I'm going to give you a couple technical specifications. It may sound like jargon, but you know, we're at negative one and a half degree of camber on the front towed in uh, about an eighth of an inch. I want to say very minuscule. And then we're running like plus seven degrees of caster. This thing dives into the corners like a world war two you know, airplane, like it's just dive bombing. And this thing is just, it's handling like it's on rails and it's just totally night and day different over the original configuration. Um, so the, the improvements are there. It's the markets out there to really make these things handle well, handle more like a new car. What I can say about, about the really new stuff, like, you know, the new Hellcats and, and demons, all that stuff is they, not only do they handle really well and they dart in and out the, the corners, but they also have like a really cush, comfortable feel when it, it needs to be comfortable. Uh, with the old school stuff, just being completely transparent is when you, you make them handle like they're on rails, sometimes they ride like they're on rails and you feel a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just the truth of the matter, but you can make it what you want it. And it just depends on how far you want to go down the rabbit hole. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, I don't know if you've looked at this clock, but we're approaching two hours and 15 minutes. That's, that's what happens with Mopar guys. I swear to God, you, I know. I, it's just, uh, if you're passionate about something, you can talk about it forever. So 
I, I can't do that to you. And I know my wife would kill me if I walked into the bedroom at four o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah, me and Blake, we were just <laughs> talking Mopars all night long. <laughs> um, so let's. Uh, Your wife let's never. Move got- on to- <laughs> my wife is so, so understanding of me and my crate. Like, that's awesome. Before, before we started this, uh, she's like, I'm just going to go upstairs and watch TV. Is that okay? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And uh, I could hear it just barely. I could hear them. <laughs> I was like, hey, turn it down. <laughs> we, we're making magic down here. Mopar magic's happening. <laughs> um, so she's cool. She turned it down. But uh, yeah, she's That's awesome. She's amazing when it comes to this stuff. Because if if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd be like, so are you making money with that thing? Or what is this, a hobby? Is you having you having fun with your friends on the internet? Are you talking to yourself in that little microphone you got? Cool. Neat. How much money are you making? None. <laughs> Oh, cool. Neat. You still got, you're still taking up a spot in the garage where my Jeep's supposed to be. And you're not working on your project because you're making these podcasts. So we need to start thinking of what's more important in our lives, a happy wife or, <laughs> but no, she's cool. Um, we were actually, that's cool, man. <laughs> I, I don't know if she'll be comfortable with me talking about this, but we kind of got in a little, little argument this weekend because uh, I want a new challenger. And she's on board. She wants a new Challenger, too. And the thing was always, well, I want to be able to drive it, too, every once in a while. And, of course, you know, knowing that, you know, she's part of the decision-making, I can't say, you ain't driving the Challenger. you out of your mind. So I, uh, I'm i like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been pushing the – because she doesn't know how to drive a stick. And that's partially my fault. Um, we've had a couple cars that have had manual transmissions in the past and we just never got around to teaching her. And so every time I see a six speed challenger, I'm like, Oh, this one would be cool. And she's like, Oh yeah. I was like six speed though. So sorry. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, <laughs> she's like, Oh, you're going to teach me. And I'm, of course I'm a jerk. And I'm like, oh, the clutches in these things are, they're not forgiving. You know, they're not like a Honda or something, <laughs> but I, uh, I won't get into too many details, but I found I, I've had this idea about a modern Challenger, and I kind of strayed away from wanting to get a new Scat Pack because I felt like it would be bad to butcher a new car with what I want to do to it. Um, so I told her what I want to do. I said, what do you think about something like this? And she's like, oh, that's really cool. And she goes, but I wouldn't drive it. And I'm like, all right, well... Sorry that you won't drive it, but that's what's happening. <laughs> she's, so she got mad at me. She's like, well, I thought that was going to be our car. You know, we were going to go pick it out together and pick the color and whatnot. And I'm like, I don't think we've ever been on the same page here. You know, and that's I was like, look, I'm going to do this to this challenger. And if you want one, we can get another one. So in my head, I'm like, maybe this will be my way in to get two. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, in, I'm insane. <laughs> I hope she's not hearing oh, me right now. Just waiting for, she's waiting. She's hearing this right now. And she's waiting for me up in the bedroom, and I'm gonna get scolded when I go up there. <laughs> um, love you. She is never um, gonna let you hang out with me again. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. It's if people got a glimpse into what I put my wife through with these Mopars, it's bad because I, I'm the Mopar hunter, man. I'm always looking at these cars, and. I'd be a liar if every day I didn't have to bite my tongue to tell her, Hey, there's this car. And I know we don't have the money necessarily, but just hear me out. 
It's a good deal. And we can always turn around and sell it, even though I know that there's no way in hell I'm selling it. I just want to get it in. I got to get it into the into the fleet because <laughs> once yeah. it's in, it ain't leaving unless I really want it to go. But enough about me and my crazy, my crazy wife in life. <laughs> um, the six pack. Blake, I like to close out this show with a little segment I call the six pack. And it's a speed round of six questions that are Mopar related. They're this or that questions that kind of give listeners a little glimpse into you as a Mopar guy, you know, what, what your tastes are. Mm -hmm. So if you're ready, Blake, we'll go ahead and start the six pack. Nothing hard, pretty easy. And you can also decide if you want to go in depth with your answer, or maybe you don't like either of those choices and you have a better choice. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. All right, let's go. Dodger Plymouth. Dodger Plymouth. I'm going to get burned. Plymouth. Plymouth. Okay, perfect. Charger Daytona or Superbird? Superbird. Okay, Plymouth guy. I like it. FJ5 or FC7? FC7. Okay. I think I already know the answer to this next one, but I thought it was fitting for this conversation. Fuel injection or carburation? That's a depends. Ah, all right. That's I'm a fuel one. injection. I'm a I, I'm a fuel injection guy. I am, but three carburetors is badass. I'm not going to disagree with you there. I uh, I battle that all the time. Next, modern Mopars or classic Mopars? Got to go with the classics, man. Got to. It's tough because I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of all the modern stuff. And I would really love some support from Mopar. But there's something about the classic ones. And that's why DIY Hemi is so awesome. Because you can have the best of both worlds. Let's Modern power plant, classic look. Let's be honest. I'm not turning down a B5 Demon. I'm not doing it. That's true. I would give up every Mopar that I own right now for a demon. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And some body parts too, right? <laughs> that thing is. Uh... Oh man. I, I can live, I can live without a lot of them. <laughs> a lot of them. I have been married long enough to know that there are certain things you just don't need <laughs> after a certain amount of time. Anyway. <laughs> All right. I'm really going to get myself in trouble on this episode. Jeez. All right. Next, (laughs) Um, (laughs) scat pack or rapid transit system. All right. I'm going to go against the grain here. You're expecting me to say rapid transit system, but I'm going to go scat pack. You know why? It's the, it's the B man. That B is just so damn cool. I am with you. I, that's one thing I battle with myself a lot is, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a fantasy guy. I think about, you know, Mopars and if I had the money to get the ultimate Mopar, what would it be? And I always, there's something about a wing car that will never leave, you know, the deep, deep seated Mopar, just obsession. I want a wing car. I don't think I can leave this earth without having one in some way, shape or form, but I would die for an A12. God, I want an A12B so bad. And I thought for a while I was debating whether I wanted the bird or the bee. 
And there's just something about that 69 and a half super B that just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't, I have to have one of those. And I, if it ever came down to a situation where I had the money and there was a B an a 12 B and a wing car, doesn't matter if it's super bird or Daytona and they were both the same price. I don't know if I, I would have to flip a coin. I don't know if I could actually make the decision. And I know when I see what that coin is flipped at, I'd probably be like, all right, well, uh, <laughs> I probably, hey, let's just take a second mortgage on the house and let her rip. Let's take both. You of know them. what? <laughs> Cause guess what, honey, we can always sell one and make some money. <laughs> I, uh, I have to go with you there, man. I love the wing cars, but there's something about an A12 that just screams cool. That thing is so badass. Yeah, I, uh, man, factory race cars. There's just something about them. And I, when I think back to you know the muscle car era, you know people that are not Mopar people that I talk to, because a lot of my friends are not like on a personal level, like the friends I've known for years are not Mopar people. And I know they think that I have some sort of level of crazy inside me, but I keep trying to express to them. Do you know how cool Mopars are compared to Chevys and Fords? They just did everything better. Look at the advertisement right. alone. The advertisements alone are better. I, the colors are better. Just the And they've always been. And one thing I can appreciate about FCA these days is that, like you were saying earlier, they are really in tune with that, just like they were in the 60s and 70s, that enthusiast market, the young crowd, the uh, you know the performance junkies, they're, they're all about it. And I just, I love it because I, I never got to experience the, you know, the original muscle car era. Mm-hmm. So to at least get a taste of that old stuff, but have a whole new modern muscle car era is just something it's insane and i'm glad that i at least get to say that i you know took part in one of them one of the muscle car yeah. areas you know what i mean yeah for sure yeah i think they're doing a great job with it I, I really do it's it's exciting you know i mean i hate to say it but you drive down the road and you know camaro passes you're like yeah okay yeah camaro yeah a mustang yeah okay and it's like then a then a wide body challenger passes by or charging you're like neck breaking I like, oh what the hell was that yeah it's tough man let me ask you this we're okay. going to close it out after this question i think this is a good one to end on since you're an e-body guy what do you think about a new cuda if if fca was going to bring back a cuda what would you want to see in a cuda i'm for it absolutely for it uh what would i'd like to see in it i would like to see it stay kind of true to its roots. Um, you know, it was, it was a people's car, man. It was just, it was a fun car. You know, I would like to see it, you know, you know, front engine rear wheel drive. I would like to, uh, I don't think it would be received that well by the Mopar crowd. If they kind of took like a C8 Corvette approach, like mid engine, um, kind of import style, European style. I don't, I don't know if that would do really well. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a fan of retro. I think the challenger looks great. They have now, you know, so if they had some retro throwbacks to previous generations of the CUDA, man, do it, bring it back. I'm all on board for it. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And it, you know, I never really thought of it, but I think I would accept, uh, 
mid-engine car if they said, hey, look, we're never bringing back the Viper. The Viper is dead. We just need a cool name. Then I would go, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I also don't necessarily want to see a, a Challenger dressed up as a Cuda. I'm not interested in that either. I want to see something a little right. bit fresher. And I, I think they could do – now I'm a fan of the E-Body. Don't get me wrong, but hear me out. I really think they could do something with that fastback styling of 67 through 69. I think there's something there, and I think they could really do something mm-hmm. with it. But I guess we'll have to wait and see because who knows if it's ever going to come back. But, you know, they brought a demon yeah. back as a challenger, so it wouldn't surprise me what what they do. I've, you know, they're, they always have something up their sleeves. But, Blake, it's been – a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we've been wanting to do this for a while. We've gone two and a half hours. That's insane. Um, but I want people to know where they can find all your stuff, your social medias, your website. Tell them where they can find Blake Anderman. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at DIY Hemi. Uh, Instagram, same thing, at DIY Hemi. And you can go to the website, DIYHemi.com. Reach out to us. They have a contact form. They have good information there for you, some stuff you can take a look at. And if you have some issues, reach out to us. We'd be glad to help. Awesome. Blake Anderman from DIY Hemi. Thanks again, buddy, for joining me on the show. And if you're up to it, we got to do this again sometime. This was a blast, man. I enjoyed it. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, man. Awesome. And someday, yeah, I'm with you someday. SEMA, beers, we're doing it. (laughs) You got it, bud. I'll be there. Nice. First round's on me. All right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that was Direct (laughs) Connections and my friend, Blake Anderman from DIYHemi.com. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Direct Connections is in the books. Thanks for joining Blake and I on the show. We had an absolute blast. Remember to visit DIYHemi.com and show Blake some support. He's a great guy, great business, and I see nothing but success for him as time goes on. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I know I sure did, even if we had some technical issues with the audio. You know, that's technology for you, but we worked through it and we made it happen because the show must go on. Even a little technical snafu isn't going to stop the mission to Hemi swap the world. That's not just a clever hashtag, folks. It's a movement. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Also, I am late in launching the Talking Mopars merchandise store, but it is live now. So check the show description for the link. It will also be up on the website. Just click on the store tab to take you to the goods. We have a couple designs up with more on the way, including limited edition shirts that will be really cool, but only available for a limited time. So be sure to snatch them up when you see me post about them or when you hear me talk about them on the show. You can purchase cool things like t-shirts, hoodies, and more in the store. We'll have stuff for guys, gals, and even the little Mopar hunters too. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff at the same time, follow the link in the show notes or just jump on over to TalkingMopars.com. That's it, folks. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopar's Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopar's, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.